Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Again, to the Voice Wrestling Podcast, I'm Rich Grace, alongside, as always, Mr. Joe Lands. And Joe, before we get to the the uh, the real important show, which this one should be insane, this is probably going to be a four hour show. We're just letting you know that ahead of time. But um, just before we do that, we know we have a number of new listeners, people that have jumped on during G1, um, people that have just sort of started following us recently. So I just wanted to kind of get some plugs in here for for those who are kind of new or haven't listened to the show before. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at Voices Wrestling. Uh, we're also on iTunes. You just do Voices of Wrestling on iTunes, of course, if you're there. If you rate and, rate and review and subscribe and all that good stuff, that is good for us. We're also on Stitcher, VoicesWrestling.com. We're on Facebook, all that other good stuff. Basically, though, if, you, if you're new to this show, welcome, and we enjoy your, your, your listening. But I think we should be. After the G1 Climax, we should have some new people, definitely. It seems that way. Yeah. I think uh, we get... we've added a bunch of new uh, Twitter followers and whatnot, mm-hmm. so, uh, so maybe there is... If you're new, welcome. Could be a bunch of new people listening today, too. So. I apologize. I apologize in advance for what we're leading off with, but but it's really the big news story, and it's the thing that everybody wanted to talk about, and it's 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 the big thing. I mean, it is... Joe, it's been on everybody's it's mind. It's the review that everybody's been waiting for, Rich. Yeah, I mean, I mean let's it's... Face it. it's the site is built on this review, this night, this day, this everything. Game Time Pizza, how was it? <laughs> was... The game time. Oh, we'll get to the G1. We'll get to the G1 climax in a little yeah, bit. The G- I, I don't know. The if... G1 is on the back burner. We need. To talk yeah, about... I don't know if you guys thought that that's what we meant. No, 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 no. Game time pizza. We need to talk about and... game time pizza because. And for those for those new listeners who might not know, quick recap of what game time pizza is and, and where we sort of. It's a, it's a pizza establishment in lovely College Station, Texas, but. A new pizza establishment, which yes, is always right. big news for me around here because the pizza is terrible <laughs> in Texas and. Uh, you know, I received their menu on the day of the last podcast, and uh, Rich basically demanded that I order a few items off of this menu. 
and then uh, return with a review. I, I, I was told to order one Chikara pizza, which in this case was a uh, Philly cheesesteak pizza, and one traditional, you know, pepperoni pie. And then I also had a, uh, a coupon, a voucher, if you will, uh, for some free cheese-filled breadsticks. So, uh, you know, we uh, – and I, and I promised a full review of Game Time Pizza on the next show, which is this show. So uh, that's pretty much it, right, Rich? That's the uh, – That's pretty – yeah, I think that's got it. So, um, yeah, I, I've been on – I've been anxious. I mean, I haven't slept right since then, so – well, here we go. You know, I don't have – I, I got I to tell you, I don't have any good things to say about Game Time Pizza. Uh, it was a disaster right from the start. Um, it, it was a disaster right from the phone call. Uh, I, I called the Game Time Pizza. I, I ordered the uh, Philly cheesesteak pizza and was immediately told that I could not have that item, Rich. <laughs> Wait, what? I, I couldn't have it. They would not let me have the uh, Philly cheesesteak pizza. They were out of steak. So I couldn't even have the Philly cheesesteak pizza because uh, they were out of steak. So we're already off to a bad start here. So I could, couldn't order the, the Philly cheesesteak pizza. Decided not to go with an alternate uh, Chikara pizza. Okay. And, All right. Uh, that, and that's fair. That's fair. You, you kind of went kicking and screaming to that anyway. So I, I get it. Yeah. So, so just went with the uh, pepperoni pizza and the cheese filled breadsticks. So uh, I get my, you know, it did save me a, a ridiculous eighteen ninety nine not having to buy the Philly cheesesteak pizza, by the way, because that's the price of the large uh, Philly cheesesteak pizza. It's eighteen ninety nine, which mm-hmm. uh, my dog is obviously not pleased with that price point no. either. As you can see, she's disgusted by the eighteen ninety nine. Uh, calm down, Lexi. It'll be all right. Uh, so I, I order the pepperoni pizza. I get my. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be in New Jersey sometime soon. Don't worry. <laughs> I, got, I got my voucher for the cheese-filled breadsticks. Yeah. All right. I head down to the uh, to the game time pizza. Halfway there, I realize I forgot the voucher for the cheese. Oh, so now I got to turn around. I go all the way back to the house. I grab the coupon. I hop back in the car. I go back out to the game time pizza. Okay. Now the only good thing about the game time pizza was the lovely Lauren at the counter. I, I, okay. I want to say that the lovely Lauren. So if she's was, listening, which of course she probably is. Yeah, so. Of course, who doesn't listen to uh, the Voice of Wrestling <laughs> podcast? She 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 needs to know the straight dope on the G1 Climax Finals. So we all know she's yeah, tuning well, she's in. Been, yeah. uh, well, because when you talked to her, I'm sure you, you guys chatted about you know I just got done doing a wrestling podcast and you know that that sort of that's I know I talk to everybody I, anybody who listen I tell them about this I, thing. I, so I, that's probably the very last topic that ever comes up when I talk to a female. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I did, I did chat up the lovely Lauren because when I got there, the order, of course, was not ready. So, uh, you know, I'm chilling out in the game time pizza waiting for my order, which, you know, obviously it took me a while to get there because I had to turn around and go, go back home and get my voucher. No reason for that. Now, is this just a standard? Because like, it sort of said pizza and pub. This is like nah, we got nah, TVs no playing pub, no crappy. This is, this is two cheap Vizios on each corner of the place <laughs> with like, you know, some like – ESPN two playing some old tape of a game that happened six months ago. Yeah, oh, that, um, that's one of my biggest pet peeves in the world of any bar I go to. Like it, it infuriates me is when you go to like a bar or whatever or a sports bar or anything like that, and they sort of they're playing. You know, they'll have a they'll, at, at some point they put on ESPN because let's say at eight o'clock there was some baseball game or something that was a big deal or whatever. But then the goddamn thing's on all night. So if my if I'm like with my girlfriend and she's with some of her friends or whatever and they're yakking it up about whatever, I'm looking at the TV and I've seen the top ten like thirteen times already, at this point. Or like there's just as you mentioned, there's like a Little League World Series game that was taped <laughs> twelve hours ago that I already watched or whatever. And I'm just like, oh my god, like put, like change the damn channel, like put or let, like the worst is they'll put Comcast Sports on for us in in Chicago. We have our, our Comcast or whatever. At night they just go to like infomercials and stuff, and I'm just like, oh come on, like put like why is the, on like, a current sporting event especially if you're going to be a sports station that's like, all I'm like 
This is like you have a satellite dish. You have the Pac-12 network. There is some goddamn college football game somewhere in the world that is played right Rich, now. So a, put it on. Is, like this is game time pizza, Rich. Game time. That's what I mean. Put on right, a game. Right. So anyway, uh, yeah. So I walk in. There's there's one table of people there. So I know they're not busy. But you know, it gave me a chance to flirt with the lovely Warren. Uh, you know, so that that, that was a positive. Are you guys um, married or no? Yet? Uh, no, we are not married. We are not okay, married. Right. That's that's not funny, Rich. I you know I. That's what do you, what do you mean by that? Wait, wait, are you saying that? Oh, I just thought you guys got in a whirlwind romance, like the, like Vegas girl. You got to bring up the Vegas girl, don't you? We talked about the Vegas girl. That was not a romance <laughs> at all. We just made friends. Oh, that's right. The show that, that was the show that got lost to. Yes, that was. You know, we're, right. we're just friends. The Vegas girl. We're still friends. She's a Laker fan, but we're friends. Mm. It's pretty hard to be friends with a Laker fan. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I get okay. I, I get my food and uh, I bring it home. And Rich, it's an absolute disaster from start to finish. I can't even make this up. <laughs> the pizza is terrible, even by Texas pizza standards. Okay, I, I, you know, we're grading on a curve here because I'm in Texas. Yeah, yeah it's all imagine. terrible. But this was even bad by 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 Texas standards. On top of that, I got to get to these to these cheese filled breadsticks. This is just this is just. Oh, so they they were. Oh, oh no. Oh, so you came back. Okay, I, never mind. Because so I was going to. I got my okay. cheese filled breadsticks. I open up the bag. There's three cheese filled breadsticks inside. <laughs> and 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 here's the worst part, Rich. You know that they were frozen and straight out of a box because they were yeah. all the same size. They were all the same shape, and they were all, like, flat on the bottom. So right. Which, for a pizza place, is ridiculous because you have cheese and you have you bread. You have cheese and you have bread. It, it's not <laughs> you have dough. Like, it, it, have dough. make it in two seconds, yeah. But these were clearly frozen out of a box from a distributor and uh, just heated up in the oven. And not even heated up all the way, by the way, because they were all cold in the middle. Mm. So these frozen cheese-filled breadsticks were still frozen in the middle, and not only that, they come with a uh, a marinara dipping sauce, or so I was told. Okay, this marinara quote unquote dipping sauce—you're <laughs> never gonna believe this. It was nothing but it, what it really was was cold tomato paste. Oh, like not even. Have you ever accidentally tasted? tomato paste before they're oh yeah yeah, yeah. or anything it's just it's disgusting it's awful yeah it's not meant to be like eaten like it's meant to be mixed with something or it's that's i mean you're not supposed to eat it plain it's like it's awful it's meant for the base of your sauce right what they do is they they just they just took the cold <laughs> tomato paste unseasoned straight out of the can i'm presuming Ugh. and scraped it into a like you know you know a cup and and passed that off as marinara sauce you couldn't even dip it because, you know, tomato paste is, like, solid. And I knew it's – Yeah, yeah, right. That's what I mean. It's not even a dipping sure. sauce. Sure. As I opened it, I, knew, I was like, this is tomato paste. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. So I scraped the frozen cheese-filled <laughs> breadstick into the tomato paste and took a bite and immediately spit it out. It was tomato paste. Are you kidding me? This is, you know, this is what I'm dealing with here. If it's not Mexican food or it's not barbecue, this is what I'm dealing with, Rich. I can't get a decent meal. This isn't good. I can't get a decent meal. What was the pepperoni looking like here? Was it just like terrible, like just like, because there's, there's different people do different pepperoni. I, I don't know how, was this just kind of like lapped onto the top nah, of the this cheese? Was a, this was, I had no issue with the pepperoni. Okay. I had no issue with the cheese. This was not, you know, they clearly got this from a, you know, an Italian food distributor, the, the ingredient. The ingredients ain't a problem. It was the preparation, which was an absolute okay. disaster. Uh, the pizza itself was uh, the pizza. I don't know how, how they made this pizza, but the crust on the pizza it was kind of like it was it was unraveling 
at the base because I think they rolled it up to form a crust instead of just. Oh, I see. Okay. Instead of letting it naturally had, form a crust, right, which they, just, they just have no idea. Right. Pizza's made. Exactly. They thought. <laughs> I think they think that they have to roll it to form a crust because. I'm looking at a picture right here. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, you don't have to do that. As the pi- pizza does right, that. Right. So as the pizza got cold, the crust unraveled. It was the most bizarre thing. Um. So yeah, it was a terrible experience. I cannot give the thumbs up to the game time pizza. I will never be back. Um, I, I did not log a complaint. That's not my style. I'm the kind of customer. I'm the worst kind of customer because I just never come back, and you never get yeah. my money again. Uh, I, I've been in the restaurant business for years. We want you guys to complain because we could then kiss your ass and earn your money again. We'll give you something for free and get you back in the door so you spend more money. It's the guys like me that we hate because I just never come back. But here's some good news, Rich. Across the street from the Game Time Pizza, there's another pizza place opening. Ooh. Black Sheep Pizza is the name. Ooh, the okay. All right. Let me let me get on the Twitter machine here or the, uh, the Google now, machine. So I can... They're still building it. I don't know if you're even going to be able to find anything. I know they're not open yet. Black Sheep Pizza. Uh, is that a is it a that might be uh because I find one in I'm finding one in St. Paul, Minneapolis. Oh, could this be a chain? I don't know. Is it a Black Sheep Coal Fired Pizza? I don't know. The sign. Just... It's like a little. Oh, the sign's not there. The sign says coming soon black sheep pizza with okay. with, an, with like an animated sheep now i'm always wary of restaurants that have cartoonish uh animated <laughs> uh animal logos that's a rule of mine you got to be careful you gotta be uh careful is it really cartoonish animal logo you got to be careful of that okay all right so are you sure is it really what do you mean <laughs> never mind I, I have no idea what you, it's a it's a cartoonish animal logo of a sheep and I, I never okay. trust it. It's a zany looking sheep. I don't necessarily know if I trust that, but well, you know, I'm gonna give him a shot. I'm gonna come back and we're gonna report it. Are we four two four two Cope Bridge Road? That's exactly it. They're on the internet okay. already, huh? Not really, no. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Copy Bridge Road. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So there you go. Right across the street from the game time pizza. Yeah, you know, you, you you're an excellent stalker. You know that. I do. Yeah, I'd be pretty good. That's uh, you, that's not very far from uh from Casa Lanza, this Copy Bridge Road. So. I know. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna copy. I'm gonna keep looking here. Oh, next to the train tracks, too. Lovely location. Your moments here. from tracking me down. Oh, those train tracks. Let me tell you, it, it it's not. It's, <laughs> if I was gonna sell drugs, it's not commercial. Those are probably top tier. Because it's not a commercial. Tra- it's it's freight trains. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you can bet that you know 70 percent of the time when I come home, because I have to. I I it's unavoidable. I have to go over these tracks to get home. I always catch the train and then I'm sitting there for, you know, 18 minutes because these freight trains, for some reason, in the year 2014, can't move faster than eight miles per hour, <laughs> which I will never understand. So the college station's really lovely this time of the year, isn't it? You know, it's raining again for the third time in a row. Huh? For the third time in a row, it's raining as we record this podcast, which means, you know, my my hillbilly backwoods Internet is going to drop 19 times and you're going to have to uh, yeah. piece this thing piece together, together like yeah. usual. So, um so there you go. There's the game time pizza review, and uh, you know, all of those new listeners that that we attracted have have clearly turned it off already. So they're not, <laughs> they're not even going to get to hear the fantastic wrestling content uh, that we no, provide here. Which we have wrestling. We definitely have plenty of that coming up soon. So we're going to talk a lot of news, insane amount of news. That was a game time pizza review. Obviously, we had the G1 Climax Finals. Talk a little bit about that. We have Dragon Gate Scandal Gate, a show that you watched. I've watched half of, but uh, we'll let you handle the heavy lifting on that one. We're going to preview SummerSlam. Uh, you watched the Evolve Weekend. Uh, Triple Mania is coming up. They have an IP review. Just a ton of stuff going on. Alberto Del Rio fired. Just a, a litany of stuff. But I think the big thing, obviously, that we, we're, we're joking about but really do have to talk about first off is the G1 Climax. 
finals, which we both watched live. You did a review for the website. Um, initial thoughts before we get into each and every match. I mean, we sort of made it known on, on Twitter and in the review, but for people here now, it's been a few days. You sat on it, you slept on it, that sort of stuff. What were your thoughts of the show overall? Because it was a weird it was a, one. It was a weird It was one. a weird and wacky show. Uh, but the thing was... Down to the venue, too. The venue itself was... I, I well, Go ahead. I'll let you go. Yeah, then. it was just a weird and wacky show. That doesn't mean it wasn't a good show. I think it was a good show. I also think, though, it was a victim of the high bar that New Japan has set. We talk about that all the time, and I do think the show was a bit of a victim of uh, high expectations. I mean, you're coming off... First of all, when people get a big New Japan pay-per-view, they expect quality. They expect high quality. They expect the best company in the world because that's what they are. They're the best in-ring company in the world. And uh, on top of that, you had two weeks of the best wrestling in the world. You had two weeks of maybe the best wrestling we've ever seen, ever, in history. So coming into this show, the expectations were obviously through the roof uh, for the finale of this great tournament. Um, and, and it did not meet those expectations, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a good show. I mean, I thought the semifinal – this was – this show built from start to finish. It was mm -hmm. – the, 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 we got, we got spoiled through the G1. I think a lot of people do get spoiled because a lot of people that were watching this final sort of had this idea like, ah, oh, this is, you know, and it's, this is how they go. I mean, it's, you're not going to get a balls to the wall thing like we got with the G1. You're going to have to have those stupid six men to start off. And, and you, you expressed that concern to me, you know, via text message or whatever that people are going to complain at the beginning because if you just kind of started getting into it again recently and, and, and we're watching during the G1, you, you, you didn't get these. You didn't get Nakanishi and Sakuraba and all this sort of stuff. Right, so it was right. it was sort of a shock to be like, oh, what the hell are all these matches? And it's like, no, I mean, the first half is going to be a lot of crap. Right. The G1 shows are structured differently because you're just getting the 10 tournament matches. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, and I called it. Like you said, I texted you early on. I said, look, I'm telling you right now, people are going to bitch and complain during the first half of this show. Ah, what is this? Why is this show so terrible? Why? But, that you know, you, you get these six-man and eight-man tags, and, that, you know, that's not why you bought the show. That's not why you tuned into the show. That's not why you're pirating the show. That's not why you're watching the show. You're not watching the show to see Nakanishi in a six-man. So who cares if those matches are terrible? You expect those matches. If those matches are good, it's a bonus. You know yeah. what I mean? That's like watching, you know, turn in on SummerSlam and complaining if the, uh, if the free network pre-show match is bad. I mean, <laughs> you know, what is the point? I mean, that's not why you're, you're, you're watching SummerSlam to see Cena versus Lesnar. You know what I mean? Or, or whatever else. So, you, you know, if those matches are good, it's a bonus. In this case, they were just pretty bad. Uh, in fact, I, I thought the, the Minoru Suzuki six-man was awful. I mean, I think I gave that a dud. So, uh, But then the show progressively got better. Then you had that string of five or six matches, which were all solid. I think I was uh, a bit more – you know, I think there were other people who were a bit higher on some of those matches than I was, but I liked every single one of them. Yeah, particularly the Kushida, Shelley, uh, or the Times Floaters uh, versus O'Reilly and Fish, the Red Dragon one. I thought you were pretty low on that one. I, I, I love the hell out of that match. I liked. I mean, I liked it. I think I gave it three and three quarters, which yeah, three and three quarters. One yeah. hell of a match. <laughs> that's uh, true. That's... But I mean, you know, there were people who who liked it a lot more than I did, I, and I liked it a lot. I mean, I, you know, um, I it's just you know it's and and there were about five matches in a row that that that, that I really liked a lot, and then the semifinal and the final I thought were great. In fact, yeah. I thought the final is a top five G1 final of all time, off the top of my head. Um, you know, and I liked it better than last year's final, which was a great match. But I like this year's final more, and I'm going to talk in more detail. Uh, but actually, you know what? Why just do that right now? Yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll work backwards. As, as far as the Tanahashi Okada match goes, um, not Tanahashi, Nakamura Okada, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I kind of figured that would be the final because I, I thought that they needed a special hook to run this show in a dome. 
And uh, they did 18,000. At least that's what we have as of when we're recording this. And that's the number people are going with, which I think isn't a great number, isn't a bad number. It's a, it's a good number. It's a fair number. I thought they would do about 18,000. I thought they'd do between about 17 and 20. My feeling coming in was if they did 20 or more, it was a raging success. If they drew 20,000 or more. How many, mm-hmm. how, many, yeah, how many wrestling shows this year are going to draw 20,000 fans? I mean, you got to look at it that way. So yeah, I thought I thought twenty thousand would have made it a raging success, unmitigated. Uh, you know, you can't. You know, un- unquestionable success. Uh, and then anything above and beyond would have been gravy. But they did right in the neighborhood that I thought they would do. I thought anything below seventeen ish would have been bad. So they were right where I thought they would be in terms of, of what they drew. And I thought they needed the Naka uh, the the first time out Nakamura Okada uh, as the hook uh, to run to run that dome. And uh, so it was the final I expected. It just wasn't the winner I expected. Now, the one thing I'll say about the match, I think it was arguably the best match in the entire tournament. I'm not sure if I want to commit to that. Uh, a lot of these matches have blended together for me. If you ask me to do a top 10, I couldn't do it. I, I, yeah, you'd have to rewatch. I have to rewatch a lot. I have to, I have to look at. To me, th- this was to me personally. And that's just right now. I mean, like you said, I would have to go back and rewatch. But for, for my initial thought is I would put this atop all the others but this is your, no- I get it's it. your number one i i think so and, and like i said i can rewatch him and probably change it 15 times because a lot of the g1 stuff just i mean i had a hell of a time somebody was asking me hey which one should i know i don't even know what day was what anymore you know, I, yeah with that sort of stuff, my, my mind does not work that way there was so much good stuff i mean between me and brian rose uh we rated 31 matches during the meet of the tournament and mm-hmm. 33 if you count the final he did seven reviews i did five between the two of us uh, for all 12 shows, we rated 33 matches, four stars or above. And keep in mind, keep in mind that some of the shows that I reviewed, like I didn't give AJ Styles Naito, I gave that three and a half. People loved AJ Styles Naito. There was a couple other matches which I underrated. It seems like I've been underrating things lately. I don't know what's gotten into me. Uh, uh, but, you know, because I used to have this reputation as some kind of cheerleader. I, I don't know why. I You know, but but it seems as though over the course of the G1, I've been the guy underrating everything. I mean, I, Dylan, Dylan Hales was a lot higher on a lot of these matches than I was. Imagine that. So, um, but yeah, but anyway, we had 33 matches rated at four stars or above. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's with me underrating some things. I mean, there's people who thought AJ Styles Naito was a, you know, four and a half star match. But mm-hmm. I, I didn't think it was close. I liked it. Thought it was a nice little, you know, three and a half star match. So there's so, there was so much quality that it all bleeds together. It's really hard to, to, to separate, but I really, you know, I think uh, the Nakamura Okada match was, was, was easily one of the, I, I can safely say it's one of my three favorite for sure. And, and might've been the best. I think similar to what we said about the Shibata Tanahashi, the reason this one too for me, and, I, and I'm sort of a mark for that sometimes too, of, of the big moments, a big crowd, uh, what's obviously, because you have, as we mentioned with that Shibata uh, uh, Tanahashi one, is it felt like it wasn't a tournament match. It felt like a big match, a big match feel or whatever. I got that through this as well. And that's why I sort of put it a little bit above that is because it didn't feel like a sprinty, you know, G1 tournament match and more of a big, you know, something build up. You know, something like that. So I, I and that's sort of how I grade stuff a little bit more on, on that level. But no, I, I would have to really rewatch, but just on initial right now, if you had asked, I would probably put this one above anything else that I saw. But as I said, I, I watch it and change it probably fifteen times if I wanted to. So I'm gonna tell you why I love this match so much. Okay. It came right after the Jarrett angle. <laughs> so it came right after the Jarrett thing. The crowd was stunned. The pe- thing is a good way to put it. There were people on iPay per view tweeting who were saying that 
they were just after the Jarrett thing, they were going to watch the, the final match the next day because their mind was all screwed up from the Jarrett thing. These two guys not only had a great match, but they had to win the crowd back first. Yeah, the first five minutes was was cricket. More than that. And they yeah. had to work their asses off to get the crowd back into it, and they did. And by the end of the match, uh, the crowd wasn't thinking about Jeff Jarrett anymore. And I thought Nakamura was brilliant in this match. Flawless performance from Shinsuke Nakamura. I thought that reversal of the Rainmaker into the cross oh, breaker God. was the spot of the year. That's in professional yeah, that wrestling. Was... I didn't. I, I I rewatched it a few times, and, and someone recently put the gif out, and I had to retweet it again. Every time I see it, I just notice something. It's just it, it, when it happened at the time, it was you you couldn't even wrap your head around how he did it and how he did it as crisp as he did. When you watch that gif, I watched it probably thirty times in a row, and I still cannot believe that somebody could do that as as smooth as he did. It, it, it's unbelievable. Spot of the year in professional. Oh, absolutely. Wrestling. Yeah, I agree. And then the closing moments of that match, Kazuchika Okada. In the closing moments of that match, and in the post-match, has never looked like a bigger star than he did on that night. In the closing moments of that match, the ferocity of the, of the finish of that match, the savageness of those three short clotheslines, yeah. and that Rainmaker, and that bump that Nakamura took on that Rainmaker, on that last he, it, I think one thing that was pretty... It, Interesting too, and I, I don't know if you noted it, is that after that second one, he just kind of like screams, and then picks him up and does he the other one, and he, picks him up by his belt, he like he, yeah, he's like, fuck I, you, yeah. <laughs> Rich, you know why it was so great? He didn't need it. No, he knew he, he had. He knew him, he but... didn't need it. The fans knew he didn't need it. That was a message. That was a message, and then he killed him with the third one to send a message, and then in the post match. I'm standing up, Rich. I'm fired up. <laughs> and then in the post-match, he took the mic from Gato. Yeah. He didn't let Gato do the talking for him. And if you read the translations and you listen to his, I was about to say, you yeah. listen to yeah. his delivery, this was a delivery unlike Okada has ever had before. And then if you read the translations. Drops an F-bomb. He's or... dropping <laughs> F-bombs all over the place. The first thing he said was, Styles, I'm coming for my title. No pretenses of no intercontinental bullshit. He's coming for AJ Styles. Yep. Okay? Then he talked about Nakamura. He said, I respect you, Shinsuke, and we should do this again. But I just beat you. In other words, you know why he gave him that third Rainmaker? Let there be no doubt. Okada's the man now in chaos. Finished off Nakamura cleanly and decisively. Killed him. Killed him. Finished him off. And said, I respect you, but I'm done with you. I'm coming back for my title. This was Kazuchika Okada going from the humble chosen one of the company. And if you listen to our interview with Lance Archer a year and a half ago, he hinted at some things that he wouldn't come out and directly say. But this is a humble guy, Okada. Yeah. He hinted at some things and wouldn't say them because they're things that stay in the locker room. But this is a humble guy, even when they put that title on him the first time around. This was Kazuchika Okada going from humble, young, chosen one to this is my company. Yeah. 
and this is my company, and I'm the top dog. And if you don't like it, you're going to have to kill me to take my spot. There was a dose of reality in that promo. And there was a killer instinct in this guy in this match and in that promo that we haven't seen before. And it may have been the one mi – he was great before, but this may have been the one missing ingredient to this guy's package. Because if, because if he's got that kind of confidence now, and he's going to have that kind of ego now, and he's going to protect his spot like all the great ones do and fight. Now you watch out. This guy can be an all-time great. Yep. To me, this was the defining moment to this point in Kazuchiko Okada's career. Yeah, I, I, yeah, no, absolutely. Because if you really look at his other reigns, and, and that's, I, I've been arguing with people all day who have been, oh, you know, this is boring. We've already had, a, you know, an Okada reign. And I, I, I try to argue, no, 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 this is not the previous ones. Yeah, this first one was just a flash out of nowhere. Then there was obviously the, the, the other where it was just sort of, okay, he's kind of, you know, he won it again or whatever. But this is, this is building slowly but surely to the one, the, the real, okay, I'm the top dog in this company. Tanahashi's old, he's done. Nakamura, I just took him out. AJ Styles and this Bull Club stuff, I'm going to take them out. This is the next, okay. This is it because that first reign, I mean, really was just a uh, the, the surprise stuff. This is really the one where, and and especially as you mentioned the promos, I think that's that's fitting as well. Is that he he you know he's always sort of been Gato has been sort of his mouthpiece and the guy that's really been like okay go or you know sort of the the, the guiding spirit to him. And now it was like no 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 get out of here you know you don't have to go away but I'm the man now you 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 walk with me I don't walk with you. You know Style. the locker room leaders obviously Tanahashi is a is a locker room leader there and and you've got your veterans like Suzuki and you've got your guys like Goto. This was Kazuchika Okada to me, try you know taking that step into that level, at this show, and with that promo and with the way uh, that that match ended, and uh, to me this is this is going to be uh, one of the defining matches of his career as we move forward here. Uh, and, and, and to me, and it's like you said earlier, you know, um, you know, sometimes, you know, the big match atmosphere takes over and, and bumps a match up another level. You know what? That's part of being in a great match is yeah. having it be a big match and delivering a big match in a big match situation. And, and that's what this was. And that's why I think this match was so great. And that's why I think it may have been the best match in the tournament. Uh, because it was not only a great match, it told a great story. It was the defining match of this man's career. Nakamura, I, I, you know, I don't want people, I don't want it, I'm not, he was brilliant. Nakamura was brilliant in his role here. But this was the Okada show. This was the yeah. Okada moment. Mm -hmm. This was all about Okada, and moving forward, it, it's, it's, it's going to be exciting to watch. So I think this was it, the arrival of the new Kazuchika Okada. And you talk about that big match atmosphere, and maybe we can kind of bleed this into talking about the semi-main event. And and that's, I think, to me, is such a huge thing, because you sort of mentioned in your review that there's a lot of guys who would wilt under this pressure, that this sort of stuff would happen, and, and the crowd wasn't reacting to anything, and they would just kind of lapse into the, you know, they would lapse themselves. They would either get into just a, a, a weird period, they'd look, you know, noticeably angry, like a Randy Orton will look like. If he if the crowd's shitting on him, he just looks like he could be anywhere else in the world but where he's at. Whereas these guys, I mean, I think that is something really big, is that they took this big match, they, 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 it was the two. It was the highs and the lows of, of Japanese wrestling in a lot of ways. And we'll talk to that semi-main event where people are just stunned, shocked, angry, weirded out, or whatever. And then, as you mentioned, 25 minutes later, 23 minutes, whatever it was later, they couldn't have cared less about this moment that everybody was saying, "Oh, New Japan jumped the shark. Oh, this is terrible." Da, 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 da. 23 minutes later, it's all over. Nobody cares. Do you know how many supposedly great wrestlers would have would have would have uh, whined and and slept walked their way through that match because of what happened to the crowd mm -hmm. right before they hit the ring? 
And you mentioned one of them, Randy Orton. I mean, you could just see him being a whiny bit. We've seen him pull that move. On yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have numerous examples for him. So it's, you know, it's really a credit to these guys. And, and yeah. it really was a tremendous <clears throat> match. And it was a tremendous match to, tra- to, 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 uh, to, to cap off a tremendous tournament. And, uh, you know, there, there's been some backlash in some places, but, you know, that's just human nature. You know, I talk about that on Twitter a little bit, uh, especially from people who, who don't even bother watching. And they just, you know, you want to rip something that's being universally praised. There's been some of that. And um, look, it's this is this is the best company in the world. And they put on the best shows in the world and they put on the best matches in the world. And I mean, I know I know it's a matter of taste, but that's that's the consensus. And, uh, you know, that's that's. It's it's just a great company, and this tournament was so great that people who normally don't even dig the New Japan style couldn't even criticize it. That's how good this thing was. People who normally don't even like New Japan or are lukewarm on New Japan or flat out don't even like New Japan, I didn't see a single negative review of, 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 this, of this tournament from anywhere. You, you can never say that. There's always someone who doesn't like something. Yeah. So then I guess that means that we should turn our attention to Jeff Jarrett. So, <laughs> let, yes, as I mentioned, there was there was the highs and then there was the lows. So let me ask you then. I'll, I'll get your take first. Where do you okay. where do you stand on the Jeff Jarrett turn? Actually, why don't you walk people through it? Okay. And then tell me where you stand some 48 hours later. Okay, so what, it, what initially happened was, and, and, and what's benefited me, and I would probably suggest that everybody who ordered the show go do it as well, is to rewatch the Tanahashi AJ Styles match, because from what I gathered when I was watching it live, it was a good match, I loved it, I really enjoyed it, and then this Jeff Jarrett stuff happened, and then I just completely lost all context of the match, and was like, ah, did I like that match, what was the thing, I, I don't know, go back, rewatch it, you'll get a better understanding for it, knowing what's sort of going to happen later, so that, that's my recommendation first off, because it's a really, really good match, but... If you're like me and watch it and we're just like your jaw dropped, you, you lost completely. So anyway, to walk people through it, uh, during intermission, Jeff Jarrett came out, uh, signed a generic contract. You know, I think it was an, an agreement to a partnership, was what the, which is about as official as anything that Global Force Wrestling does uh, was there. So he went out there in his suit and, and signed the thing and, and did a quick promo or whatever. There was a, a thing to notice initially, and, and the guy I was watching with as well started to notice this too, is Scott Demore had a guitar. And the entire time we're saying, okay, someone's getting a guitar smashed on him, blah, blah, blah. But then he just sort of left the ring, and that was the end of intermission. He cut a promo, and everybody was in the bathroom, and nobody cared. And then he just walked to the back, and then that was it for Global Force Wrestling. People were, by okay. the way, I just want to cut in real quick. People literally were in the bathroom. No, I'm not we joking. Getting, like, there was we literally getting, streams of people And we were getting tweets serious. saying that nobody, from people in the building, Poro Yutsume was in the building, and he said nobody cared about a thing Jeff Jarrett was saying, and everybody was in the bathroom. But yeah. Yeah, and you, you could see it kind of from the background as well, so it was, it was, it was quite interesting. So Jeff Jarrett's gone. He's done. Whatever. So we get Tanahashi, AJ Styles. Good match, as I mentioned. Tanahashi wins uh, via roll-up, kind of an out-of-nowhere flash finish. Really good match, though, as I mentioned. Um, then immediately the Bullet Club starts running in. Every single member of the Bullet Club starts beating down Tanahashi. Then Jeff Jarrett comes down with Scott Demore, and, and initially Jeff Jarrett looks like he's going to stop every, you know, stop the Bullet Club, and he's sort of he's back-to-back with Tanahashi in the old classic, like, I mean, this was like Russo-esque turn, like the back-to-back. All he needed to do was like rotate the hips with the chair. That's my other uh, favorite like turn trope in, in wrestling. So he's got the guitar in his hand, and he's sort of letting everybody off. And then he turns around, and boom, he hits Tanahashi. And then he rips his button-up off, and he's got a Bullet Club shirt. And then Scott Demore, who's also there, Scott Demore of a, you know old-school NWA TNA fame, rips his thing off, and he's got a Bullet Club thing. And he was the most animated guy. He was like the happiest dude in the world to be a part of Bullet Club. So essentially then they lift Jeff Jarrett, the Bullet Club lifts Jeff Jarrett onto their shoulders and Jeff Jarrett is a member of the Bullet Club. Global Force Wrestling's 
force leader Jeff Jarrett is a member of the Bullet Club. Still no indication, by the way, that Global Force Wrestling is legitimate or real. <laughs> all, all, all that we know now is Jeff Jeff Jarrett has now leveraged his way into a spot with New Japan. I mean, wish God that guy, man. You know, so but anyway, how does he do it? So where where do you stand on on the turn okay. on the turn itself and what it means for New Japan? I mean, for me, the thing I, I've seen a lot of people reacting very strong, and and to me. I, don't, I wasn't as strong as them because you know me. I'm, I'm obviously I'm done with the bull club stuff. I could I could take it or leave it. I wish it would go away. I, I don't like that AJ Styles is in it. I think he's sort of grown out of it already. So I, I I'll be happy to see when he eventually moves on if he does. The rest of the stuff I don't think anybody's benefited from it in a while. It's just sort of there. Everyone's just kind of a, a giant malaise of this bullet club. The fans don't like it. It's not drawing money. It's just to me I'm I'm, I'm not a fan of it. With that said though, Jeff Jarrett joining to me it's not the big deal. I thought a lot of other people thought it was because. What I'm interested to see is what the next step is. Is Jarrett going to be there every single big show and it's going to be something new or this is another phase of the Bullet Club going through? Because to me, at Wrestle Kingdom, that stuff's mostly over. To me. What we think of as the Bullet Club is mostly over to me at Wrestle Kingdom because I feel like something's brewing there with AJ. He's going to have to bounce out at some point or leave or, or, or grow. And once he does that, I feel like the rest of the thing is pretty well done. And then it's just sort of an end of you, you know, black and white that just sits at the bottom of the card and nobody really cares about. But... I don't know. I mean, for me initially, I, that's how I sort of think of it is I, I, I feel like it's just something that was there for this one event. It was just something to kind of build to maybe a rematch between Styles and Tanahashi, but it's not something that's going to happen constantly and it's going to be, you know, another year run of Jeff Jarrett. With that said, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. For me, I'm not going to freak out about it just yet, but we'll see sort of how the follow-up is to it. What, what, where are you standing right now? I thought it was shocking. I thought it was absurd. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was a million different things all tied into one. And honestly, I thought it was well done, and it doesn't bother me at all. I, I'm mm -hmm. not one of these people who's flipping out about it. I have no problem with it whatsoever. I have no problem with Jeff Jarrett being in New Japan. Um, I've, I thought the turn came off very well. I thought the whole angle was, was excellent. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I don't have a major problem with it at all. I think um, AJ Styles at some point is definitely going face. The New Japan fans want to get behind AJ Styles. Yeah, they, they, they're pleading for that to happen. Especially after the G1, now that he's proved himself in the ring, arguably the MVP of the tournament. They want to get behind him. Honestly, I said it in the moment. I slept on it. I believe it even stronger now. I think Jarrett should have turned around and then cracked mm -hmm. AJ Styles and, with and taken the guitar. Over, yeah. And they should have done the AJ Styles turn right then and there. And Jeff Jarrett and Carl Anderson should have taken over the Bullet Club right at that point because the fans are ready to embrace AJ Styles now yeah. because now they understand what he's all about. He fits in like a glove, and he's a natural babyface. Now, there's the argument that that would be too soon because you have to have him lose the title. for Why? Why can't Okada get his revenge on AJ Styles at, with both of them being baby faces. Why can't, right. why can't he beat him in a long uh, match without any of the bullet club? Bull you know what I mean? It's, uh, I would have done it right then and there because I think this, this would have been the perfect time to do it. Uh, but it's going to happen at some point, probably when Styles loses the title, uh, those guys will gang jump them and, and turn them, but it, it's, it's going to happen at some point. Uh, but regardless of that speculation, I didn't have a major problem with the Jarrett thing. And, and, you know, I want to see where it goes before I rip it to shreds. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll get it. It's because to me, the, the, the thing that and I sort of mentioned it is that I don't feel like this is a long term thing that they're going to again right, go back and just monopolize the because the, the, I think 
especially what you mentioned, when you take the main event, because initially when this happens, you could see that. If the show ended like this, I'd be like, uh-oh, this, this isn't good. But then the next match you had, as we mentioned, is Okada saying, no, this company is mine, and, and clearly the company is going towards him, and he's going to win the title and that sort of stuff. So you, you, you're not getting the same thing that we had the past year where the Bullet Club just monopolizes everything. You're, you're not getting that. I mean, it's obvious you're not getting that from the main event, and to me, it's just something to keep it alive for a few more months or, or whatever. So I, I didn't really freak out. If... You know, at this point, we're talking the next G1 comes up and Jeff Jarrett's still, you know, or God forbid he's the champion or some ridiculous stuff. Okay, fine. But I'm going to let it play out a little bit before I, I, I freak I, out. I don't know. To me, it freshens things up a little. I don't I don't mind watching a Jeff Jarrett-Tanahashi match. I think that could be interesting. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I, I haven't seen his work as of late. Have you seen? Because I know a lot of people were mentioning that his, his AAA work's been awful and he hasn't really looked very good. I haven't seen it in a while. So no, I, but here's, here's the thing about that. Um I've always been a little bit higher on Jeff Jarrett than other people have. I think he is a smart worker and 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 knows how to uh, how to work a match and get over. I'm not worried about maybe age is catching up with him a little bit, but but I'm not worried about Tanahashi either. I mean, I have full confidence that Tanahashi could have a great match with anybody. Right. So when you have two great wrestling minds. Uh, you know, they can make up for other handicaps, whether it be Tanahashi's bad back or Jeff Jarrett's age catching up with him or whatnot. Plus, you would think with the Bullet Club stuff, the matches could have a, a decent amount of shortcuts and whatnot yeah. as well. They may not be traditional New Japan style matches, but even if they do, just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm confident that those two guys could have good matches. I don't see any reason they wouldn't be able yeah. to. I think well, and something that's interesting, too. Uh, sorry, no, go ahead. No, it's just that Jeff, I just, you know, people, I think Jeff Jarrett sometimes gets a bad reputation for being like this awful worker. I don't think Jeff Jarrett was ever an awful I've never really hated him that much no, either. I've the, always been. He had the TNA stink on him, and, 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 and that didn't help in recent years. But he was pretty. I, I I never thought he was that awful in TNA. I actually enjoyed him in TNA. I mean, the, the, the crowd brawls got tired. Um, but uh, you know, Jeff Jarrett's a guy that I've never looked at and said, "Oh, he's he's fucking terrible." I've I've never felt that way about Jeff Jarrett. I I never thought he was great either. That's the thing. Um, you know, at his peak, you know, th that's not even true. You know, there there were times where I did think that he was on the precipice of being great. Um, in fact, I just watched that. Uh, SummerSlam 98 card, I think it was. What's the one? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. With the Triple H and the Rock and the awesome ladder match, which everybody loved that Triple H Rock ladder match. Uh, that's the card, right? SummerSlam 98? Yep, yep, that's one. Yep. I thought the best match on that show was Jeff Jarrett and X Pac. Yeah, it was really maybe, good. I remember. Maybe, yep. maybe it's just me, you know, I'm the odd. No, 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 no. I remember. I watched that. I uh, watched that a few years ago, and I thought the exact same thing as well. I love that. You had these Jeff Jarrett. I remember. I, I don't remember it being as good because I think at the time I didn't really like when I watched it as a kid, you know, I'm. I'm 13 or whatever the hell sure, I was, you, you know, I didn't really, yeah. yeah, exactly. I liked the ladder match and I watched Undertaker and Stone Cold sure. pummel each other in the crowd and do all what they did or whatever. But then going back and watching it maybe two or three, you know, two years later or whatever, I haven't watched it yet. I'm going through all the SummerSlams now. I went back and watched it and I went, holy shit, this was really good. I really enjoyed this. And, and Waltman's a guy who I've, I've appreciated more as I've gotten older. I enjoyed him as a kid, but for all different reasons than, than why I enjoy him now. And then Jared is a guy that I've sort of appreciated his older work now. But yeah, no, I thought he was really good. And I thought that match was great. Here's a there was a Ma there was a D'Lo Brown Val Venus Ma opener, which that was not good. which went about 20, 25 minutes and was about 20, 25 minutes too long. It was awful. There were blown spots left and right. It was just a, it was just a terrible match. Um, then there was a, a couple other really shitty matches, typical Attitude Era trash. You know, something with the oddities. You know, something with this or that. And then this Jarrett X Pac match happens, and the level of work of that match and the level uh, uh, caliber of worker in that match compared to what was on the rest of that show. It was, I'm telling you, it was like watching Masawa Kabashi yeah. compared to the rest of that show. And the crowd's molten lava during that thing too. And, they love it too. And let me, it's a huge deal. And let me tell you something. 
that Stone Cold Undertaker match was no great shakes. That was nothing special. And I know, you know, I was talking to people on Twitter while I was watching, and apparently I'm in the minority. I didn't like that ladder match either. But I'll accept that I was in the minority. I saw Dave Meltzer gave it like four and three quarters, and there's people online saying it was a great match. Maybe because I didn't see it in real time, and that has a lot to do with it. I think I think that's an issue with the, with the time as well, because I remember really loving it at the time. Sure, and, then and that's, that's what people I've were gone back me. since then. Yeah, I mean, you watch those 2000 ladder matches. You watch Edge and Christian and the Dudleys and the Hardys or whatever, and these two dudes. I mean, it, it, it's worked like the it's worked more closely to the 1995-94, you know, Michael's Razor. Not as, on that level, not as good, because obviously neither of these guys were as athletic. And then you compared it to just these super athletic ladder matches you've seen now and, and since then. I mean, this was there was still a novelty to the ladder match at that point. That's why I loved it as a kid. I think they were that going back now and watching it, it's like, ugh. I mean, you had only seen three ladder matches up until this point, ever. Sure. So think I think about that. Yeah. So there there were two things definitely working in it. Or four if you count the six Eddie Guerrero <laughs> NWO sold out one, but that's so, there, so, there, we don't really so then there were two basic things working against it from my point of view, watching it two weeks ago. Number one, like you're saying, I didn't watch it in real time and there's been a million ladder matches since. And number two, I'm not a big ladder match guy so yeah. there's nothing and, and, and number three i'll throw this in as another one and 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 when i do watch a ladder match the the type of ladder match that i can't stand is climb tease pull down rinse repeat and that yep. match was nothing but for the second half of that match climb tease pull down next guy climbs tease pull down oh my god he's just over and over and over just get to the fucking point already i cannot stand ladder matches where it's just climb, pull the guy down, then the other guy climbs, and he gets I can't stand that. And the first half of the match was just Triple H and Rock brawling in the entranceway. And that, that right. typical Attitude Era trash of just brawling in the crowd or brawling in <laughs> it's just the antithesis of what I like as a fan. So, And, and that's that's something I always mention to friends, too. And, and once they notice it, they never stop noticing, and then I think they stop liking the Attitude Era because it's really when you watch, like if you binge watch a lot of the Attitude Era stuff, you will get like – like to me, I, I, I still like Stone Cold, and I still think it's awesome, and I still – you know, to me, that that's still an era that I, I'm synonymous with of, of my youth and wrestling and all that sort of stuff. But I watch these pay-per-view matches, even the ones against Mankind, even just every single one, as I mentioned, is – an Irish whip into the entryway or whatever the hell our, whatever our structure is that we're entering through, be it a car, be it, you know, whatever it is, just the, the guardrails right by the, you know, where the, 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 uh, the sound guy is just every, for like two years straight, every main event was the exact same thing. Yeah. Was meet the guy at the entryway. We whip each other into the guardrails for a little bit. We do a, you know, a body slam onto this. The crowd goes insane. We steal a drink or whatever. We throw it on the guy. It's just like everyone is exactly and it, the same. And, and, and whatever prop that that pay-per-view. It worked at that time, though. Whatever prop that that pay-per-view happened to have. Like if it was a, if it was the, uh, one of the British pay-per-views. Over the edge had a car. Yeah. Right. And there was like a, a, a British trolley or a British like telephone <laughs> right, booth. Right. Like they would use that as a prop. Yeah. It's all the same stuff repeated. Backlash would have those little gates or the little, uh, the little <laughs> yeah, hooks exactly. and they would have to get thrown into the hook or whatever it was yeah it was every listen it's, it's not voices of wrestling if we don't bash the attitude era but um it, it worked in that time though because the crowd hey, loved listen, it, so i, I, I never it. deny it didn't work in the time yeah. so uh but anyway getting back to that to me jeff jarrett was the best worker on that card in my opinion so mm -hmm. I, I think there were times where he was really good so i think the bottom line is i think i'm not as low on jeff jarrett as a lot of people are and uh this whole thing doesn't bother me as much as it bothers a lot of people now um as far as the tanahashi AJ Styles match itself. It's like you're saying it was a great match. I mean, it was an excellent match, um, which was kind of clouded by the post-match stuff. Now, I think historically, nobody's going to remember how great the match was. I don't even think a lot of people will remember who won the match. 
No. Because this whole thing is... I, I, I almost actually forgot. When the, when the finish happened, I went, oh, yeah, Tanaji yeah, Goodwin. It's, like, it's... like, I completely forgot. I did not remember what the finish was. Because he, you know, Styles is doing moves or whatever. And I was like, how does he beat him? I, I, I really didn't remember. And then I said, like, oh, shit, yeah, Tanahashi beat him. It was like, I, I, you just lose all contact. That's what I'm saying. You have to go back it and watch all it. About, it was all to. about the angle. And the other thing was, as a lot of people have pointed out, something that I agree with, it was definitely worked like the first in a series. You feel like you're going to get mm-hmm. more of these Tanahashi-Styles matches. Because Tanahashi is a very brilliant worker i mean shit look at the finish i mean that that's right there you're not gonna sure neither guy won with their finish and, and there's a <clears> lot of other little subtleties tanahashi's a brilliant worker when when it when it comes to putting together if you look at all the tanahashi nakamura matches or you look at all the tanahashi okada matches to use those two as examples they're all different they're all different you can th- you know i can i can throw a tanahashi okada match at you from one of their, their, their six or seven matches or whatever it was i had and you can tell me what made it different from all the others. Same thing with the Nakamura matches. Uh, so he's the type of worker who's very good at doing different things in different matches. And this really felt like the first match and potentially a long series of matches that these two guys might have down the line. Or Tanahashi knew, and Styles, give him some credit too, because he had a great tournament. Uh, or these guys knew that it was going to be all about the angle anyway. So why all at all? Why, yeah, I'm not going to kill myself. Why let it yeah. all hang out? And why should we? we, we, we should, why should we use everything we've got in our bag? When we might have a match down the line where where the focus will be the match and we can have a truly, truly great match then. And this was still an excellent match. This was still a four-star plus match. Yeah. So, yeah, two excellent matches to close out the show. A bunch of good matches in the middle. Uh, were there any, you know, we talked about the Red Dragon versus Time Splitters match. was was a great match. I think that, that lived up to expectations. Um were there any other matches on the mid card there that you wanted to touch on? I guess we should talk about Yoshihashi of all people yes. uh, making the <laughs> save sick. for Tomohiro Ishii. So, you know, Yujiro runs in during the Ishii Carl uh, Anderson match, and it looks like we're going to get some more, uh, you know, bull club shenanigans. Ishii, by the way, who was wrestling with a separated shoulder, probably a broken. Oh, that was nose. that was bad. He looked awful and like in awful physical condition, but he was in there working his ass off. Yujiro runs in, and Yoshihashi, of all people, makes a save, and he got an enormous pop. Uh, he came down with a ton of fire, and I think part of it was they were just happy that the match wasn't going to end with the Bullet Club bullshit. But, you know, you got to give Yoshihashi credit, too. He showed a lot of charisma coming down out of the ring, and he came mm-hmm. down there with a lot of fire, and he took Yujiro out, and it looks like he's going to get He a- got there in about two seconds, too. That thing is like a mile long to the entryway, and he got there, and, like, yeah. dude can run. And it looks like he's going to get the never title shot. And, again, you know, people always – the one complaint, which I think is – more than valid when it comes to New Japan booking is the repetitive matches. Well, you know what? You're going to get Jeff Jarrett, Tanahashi, and you're going to get Yoshihashi against Yujiro. So it doesn't get much fresher than that. We're going to get some different people in the mix here. What do you think about Yoshihashi taking on uh, Yujiro for the Never title? I mean, it's not a, to me, he wouldn't be a guy that I would pick to to really push at, at this point, but I'm willing to give it a try. I mean, it's not like it, and I, I should preface, it's not me saying that, that there's a reason why, or, you know, there's nothing I really hate about him. There's nothing bad about that. He just seems an interesting, he's an interesting case right now, but what we've seen from Gato and Jado is a lot of times when they just pick out these guys. I mean, there's a reason they pick this guy. It's not a dartboard type deal. And they went, okay, Yoshi, they see something in him. There's some reason there's something. So I'm going to let it play out for sure. He's not the guy I would pick, but I'm, I'm more than willing to have it. And the, the thing that's interesting too, is he's new blood. It's not the same sort of recycled guys. And I'm always for that. I mean, Hey, throw something against the wall. If it sticks, it sticks. If not, if not, but Hashi's a guy that we haven't, Yoshi Hashi's a guy we haven't seen a ton of yet. So I'm into that. I'm fine with that. I can't even think, Actually. I can't think of the last high profile Yoshi Hashi 
singles. I was going to ask you, is there anything? Like, I, I, I since I've watched, he has done nothing but the six. Maybe minutes. the producer can pull it up and see what his last singles okay, match was. But I don't, I don't think he's had a high profile. Remember, he came back the same time Okada did. And they wrestled each other at Wrestle Kingdom that year and had a terrible match. And I'm telling you, I don't think he's had a high-profile singles match since that match at the 2012 Wrestle Kingdom show. But here's the thing. I don't think this necessarily means he's getting a push. He, he, it, this kind of strikes me as Yoshihashi being the challenger of a month for Yujiro. Uh, it could turn into like a three-match series or something. Who knows? It strikes me as just sort of a, 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 a placeholder challenge until maybe Ishii gets healthy or, or they figure out, you know, where they're going uh, in terms of who's going to beat Yujiro for that title. But I don't really mind it. I tell you, Yoshihashi is a guy who I've been saying all year long has, has, has looked like he doesn't get a ton of chance to shine. But when he, you know, he has looked like he's been making improvements to me. And I've been mentioning that uh, all year long. And some of these tags, he, he, he has looked better than he has in the past. Because there, there were definitely times where you can make an argument where he was one of the worst guys on the roster. Yeah. So. All right. So here I, I have this ready for you. You mentioned last time he's been in in big stuff. So I have this. Let me, uh, t- let me tell you, Rich. Matches. That was some tremendous time stalling on my part, wasn't it? That, that was that good. Was that was very good. Yoshihashi. That wasn't bad. All right. Go ahead. Yeah, that, that's out of your ass too, Yoshihashi. And that didn't probably didn't expect to talk too much about him. Okay. So the last uh, last one on one pay per view match he had was February 2014 against Shibata. Before that, last pay per view is the Okada match, as you mentioned, Wrestle Kingdom six. So there you go. So he's had so two singles matches on pay per view in the past. What three years now? Right. So, so we're not we're not talking random house show opener against Komatsu here. We're talking high profile singles match. He's had one since he came back. Yeah. Since the comeback match against Okada against Shibata, which uh, I, yep. you know. So I don't even remember. I do. I, 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 I now I okay. I didn't before, but now that you mentioned it, I do. He showed a lot of fire in that match, and 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 uh, and ultimately lost, obviously. Uh, but you know, we'll see. You know, it's uh, we'll see how that goes, but. So Carl Anderson ended up beating Ishii anyway. It looks like Ishii is at least going to take some time off, or at least I hope he does. Good, please do. <laughs> For God, uh, man, that was like... He's really beat up pretty badly. But, um, yeah. uh, you know, I think one of the themes, though, in the, in the middle of the card was while the matches were all good, none of them quite lived up to expectations, in my yes, opinion. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people think Red Dragon Time Splitters did. I thought that could have been a little bit better, even though I liked it a lot. And uh, one match that definitely didn't live up to expectations for me was Shibata and Goto. Now, yep, agree. again, I thought it was a good match. You know, it had three, three-and-a-half star range, which there's nothing to sneeze at with that. But to me, it was the worst singles match that they've had against each other. Yeah, I said it was the worst of their series oh, so we, uh, instantly. And, and yeah, no, I was, I was right with it. Yeah, of, of just it was weird. I, I don't know what it was exactly. It's just they ne- it never kicked into another gear. It just seemed like it to me where we're, you, you sort of mentioned that Tanahashi felt like the first in the series. This sort of felt like it should have been the, like we shouldn't have already had two you know, unbelievable matches out of these two. This, this wasn't, I mean, as it, again, it's a victim of expectations because we know what we've seen from these two. So when you see something that's, as you mentioned, three and a half stars, you're like, well, that sucked or whatever, you know, you know what I mean? Which is, is interesting, but yeah, it, that comes with the territory. You're going to put on good stuff. That's what's going to happen. And yeah, I, I, I got that feel from this one too. And I couldn't really put a finger on it. It's just, it just didn't connect with me. I, I, I don't know exactly what it was. It seemed kind of sloppy. There was just some weird stuff in there. I, I, I just, I wasn't a fan. Something else to consider is, you know, this is the end of, a, of the hardest. Guys looked tired. Guys looked very, and I, I mentioned that to the guy I was watching with as well, that, that everybody looked a little sluggish, a little slow. Like, like they almost were kind of like, ah, we got to do this, you know, <laughs> this card, which, which isn't good because, I mean, it obviously is a big match and this is a big, you know, spotlight for a lot of people, but I, I totally got it. And it, it seemed like everybody was sort of working at 80 speed. 
Look, and I, it seemed listen, like they were sore and that sort of stuff. No, I, I totally saw it. I'm not going to get on, you know, Shibata's case for having a three and a half star match at the end of a tour like this, where he gave me so much entertainment value and put his body on the line, you know, uh, on the 11 previous nights. So I totally understand that. And it's something that we've talked about when they have their pay-per-views at the beginning of a tour, at the, as opposed to the end of a tour or as a single standing pay-per-view. You could, there is a noticeable difference. Yeah. And we've heard from the guys too. We've heard from the guys too sure. that it's different. They feel so, different. And, they, they put it all out. And this was at the end of a long, hard, grueling mm-hmm. tour. So what a lot of people don't understand is most New Japan tours are nothing but a bunch of, you know, six-man and eight-man multi-man tag team matches. And then at the end of the tour, they have their hard, their, you know, their one hard singles match at the end of the tour on the pay-per-view. So this is the one tour of the year where these guys are just balls to the wall every night. So uh, that could add a lot to do with it, too. And yeah. I guess the last match of note that we didn't talk about was Naito versus Hanma. I, I got a similar vibe to that one, too, that the guys just seemed slower and, and, and just it just didn't seem like it was there either. But again, that one. It's like, a good match. You know, good match, though. Nothing wrong with, you know, as far as, 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 as in a vacuum, it's, it was a very good match. The finish, to me, came out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, it's – look, it's almost like we expect Hanma to be beaten half to death in all of his matches. And, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, and, and that's – yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's fair. I mean, you know, it's it, – he, he, he had maybe the most grueling tour of all, you know, taking these beatings and taking these big bumps and missing all these headbutts. And, um, you know, so it's – you know, and, and they had a good match. And I thought Naito was very smart, just like Tana, when Tanahashi faced Hanma earlier on the tour, to immediately play subtle heel. To tell the crowd, it's okay. We, you know you're going to be behind the guy, so it's okay. Get behind him. And I think that's the way you want to work it with a guy like Hanma. Because they're going to get behind him anyway. And, um, you know, the reason I wanted to save this match for last is there's a lot of controversy surrounding Hanma mm-hmm. in terms of how he was booked in this tournament. And we actually differ a little bit on this. Yeah. Now, I'm going to give my take first. There's a lot, yeah, of, absolutely. There's a lot yeah. of people saying it's a huge mistake that he didn't win a match. And how, do you, how does Hanma not win? Who gives a flying fuck? It's Hanma. He's the lowest ranked guy on the roster. His gimmick is that he's a loser. His gimmick is that he never wins. His gimmick is that he's a jobber. That is also, we talked about this on the last show. Yeah, we talked last week. It's where he derives all of his charisma. His charisma is that he doesn't win. That's the whole point of the Hanma gimmick. And... I'm not so sure that if he, you know, started winning matches, if he wouldn't lose some of that charm. Because if Hanma starts winning matches, there's no more underdog element. And I'm not sure that he can pull that off the same way that Ishii has. He very well make it, but we don't know that. And the other thing is, he wasn't booked in the tournament to begin with. He was a replacement. Okay? So, what the hell is the point? First of all, all right, let me break it down this way. I'm going to give you three three examples of matches that he could have won. I hear people saying he should have beat Shelton Benjamin. That's ridiculous. Shelton Benjamin was eliminated at that point, and it was the final night of the round robin. Why the hell would you waste the Hanma win on Shelton fucking Benjamin in a match that nobody cares about in a completely meaningless match? So that made no sense to me. There's no reason, okay. there's no reason to 0-9 Hanma in a match that no one gives a shit about, should beat Shelton Benjamin. That's a complete waste of the Hanma win. That's number one. Okay, number yep. two match I've heard people talk about is the Naito match. Again, that's completely retarded. I can't buy That one, yeah, that one is I, unbelievable. I cannot <laughs> buy an argument for him beating Naito in the Seibu Dome. It makes no sense. 
that's just uh, people who happen to like Hanma and want to see him win, but it makes no booking sense for him to win that match unless Naito turns heel, which I heard a theory. That would have been cool. But it didn't play out that way. They're obviously not turning Naito heel. That doesn't make any sense. The third match, and the only match where I could maybe buy that Hanma should have won was the Shibata match. Because at that point, the crowd was wanting it, and they felt it, and they thought it could happen, and it didn't happen, and he lost anyway. But even I still say that there's no way Shibata should be losing the Hanma. Because I think if Shibata loses the Hanma, that does a ton of damage to Shibata. And I know what the counter-argument's going to be. The counter-argument is going to be, then why does Shibata lose to Gallows and Fale? Well, here's the thing. As fans and as wrestling nerds, we may not we may think Gallows and Fale are shit, but those guys are champions in New Japan. In the New Japan universe, they're not looked at as shit. They're looked at as, as highly ranked guys. So I don't think it hurts Shibata to lose to Fale or lose to Gallows. Those guys are, are title holders. And they're in the Bullet Club. They're in the top heel stable. And they hold titles. He loses to Hanma. He's losing to the lowest ranked guy on the roster. Yeah, it would have popped the crowd. So what? Where do you go from there? Now all you have, okay, you got a crowd pop out of it. And Hanma's got this win. But he's still going 1-9, and nine, and he's still going nowhere after the tournament. So what's the point? All you did was damage Shibata if he beats Shibata. Right. So I don't buy that one either, even though out of the three, if you put a gun to my head and said he has to win one of them, that would have been the one I picked. But I think if they're going to have Hanma win a match at some point, it shouldn't come in the middle of some tournament where he's going 1-9. and nine. It should be somewhere down the line in Corican Hall, maybe in the main event of Corican Hall, on one of those weird main events, you know, sometimes they do those weird main events, maybe towards the end of the year, where they put a guy like Hanma in there with a, with a, with, you know, with a star. That's the kind of match he should win. In Corican Hall, against somebody in a spotlight main event, do it there, where it will have some impact. Who, if, if you had, who would you sort of put there? Let, let's say, hypothetical, you, you, you get the book, they give you the pencil, son, who are you, who are you picking? For that big moment for Hanma. I don't know. You, you can't do it against a tippy-top guy. You're not going to mm-hmm. do it against a Tanahashi or a Nakamura or an Okada. You can do it against a guy like Shibata in that setting. I don't think you do it in this tournament. Because I, don't, I think it loses its impact in the middle of a tournament. I don't think that makes a, a ton of sense for me to do it in the middle of a tournament. Or you do it against an Ishii. Or you do it against, you know, when Masato Tanaka was there. Maybe somebody like that. You know, somebody who's, you know, an upper mid-card guy. Uh, in, that, in that sense, you know... I just, I don't think it's a big deal. You know, people are, you know, oh, Hanma, how can he not win? I don't think it's a big deal. He's Hanma. That's what he does. He loses. He's the close but no cigar guy. That's his gimmick. I, I, you know, I, I it, and they're, oh, he's going to lose steam. Listen, this isn't WWE. Okay, people, this isn't WWE where when you keep beating a guy like Zack Ryder and people give up on him because it, this is a different culture. In Japan, they don't really give up on guys like that. It's different. They didn't give up on Ishii for years. Hanma's had been in this role forever since before they he went away for a little while. He's not gonna lose any steam. So if they want to give him a win at some point down the line, they can. Didn't have to come here. That's not a booking mistake. It, that is so low on the list of things to worry about in New Japan. When Hanma's gonna win a match? I mean, that's so low on the list of things to worry about. I mean, I, I that's not even a blip on my radar when Hanma's gonna win a match. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, when it happens, it's in a big spot. Not on night eight of some tournament. Hopefully it's on a big spot, on a big card, and it has some impact. When or if it finally happens. And remember this when it comes to Hanma. Let me say this too. It may never happen. 
Because when it comes to Hanma winning a match or getting any level of a push, and when it comes to them going all the way with Shibata, which is another big complaint, remember that there's political things involved in both of those situations. So those two things may never happen. Hanma may never win, and Shibata may never go get the big push. And, and we had a few people, just to clarify too, we've had people that are, they know the Shibata story, but we've had a lot of people on Twitter ask about Hanma. I don't know if they're familiar. Do you, do you want to kind of quickly go over what that sort well, of Hanma was? Hanma was in New, New Japan. A couple years ago, he had to briefly leave New Japan because uh, there were allegations that he was mixed up with the, with the Yakuza. Now, if you know anything about Japanese culture and, and Japanese wrestling, it, it, the common belief is that the Yakuza runs all these wrestling promotions anyway. The problem is, if that becomes public, if it is true and it does become public, those companies are dead in the water because that's exactly what happened to Pride. I'm not going to go into the whole backstory of that, but... Right, right. Um, Please don't. <laughs> but, you know, essentially, it came out because of Fedor Emelianenko and, and, and uh, Antonio Inoki. The bottom line was this. Pride lost their TV because of Yakuza implica implications and Yakuza involvement in the company. And then when they lost their TV, that was it. You lose your TV, you're dead. So anyway, circling back to New Japan, and, and believe me, that's a very basic version of it. But circling back to New Japan, Hanma, there was some you know rumors going around of Yakuza connections with Hanma, so New Japan made him go away for a while. And he disappeared. Then he wrestled, I think, a tour or two for All Japan. And yep, he, I'm, I'm looking at Yeah, All Japan. I think, yeah, and he was freelancing. Some TV title matches with uh, Sonata. So. so Yeah, and he was just freelancing for a while, but I think he only worked for All Japan. A few Noah. He did the Noah uh, Global Tag League you, and yeah. uh, Spring Navigation. So then when, well. when things cooled off, they, they brought him back. And he was in tremendous shape. He was actually in better shape when he came back and I guess rededicated himself to getting in shape. And, and here we are. But here's the thing. And he's been a jobber ever. But here's the thing. He was a jobber before he left. I mean, he wasn't, mm -hmm. he wasn't any higher on the card before he left. This was never a guy that they thought highly of. He just happens to be a great worker who has great underdog charisma. He may never get that win, and he may never get any kind of a push. I would push him at some point. He would always ultimately come up short, though, because I think that's where his strengths lie. But it, it, it may never happen. That, sh that shouldn't shock people if it never happens because there's a, there's a story there with him. And Shibata, the same thing. I mean, you know, he left the company when they were at their lowest point. And these guys who are now the locker room leaders remember that. They remember that. And they didn't want him brought back. Kadani brought him back. They didn't want him back. And there's still a lot of resentment there. They may never go all the way with Shibata. It may never happen. This is pro wrestling. And whether it's Japan or North America, politics exist. Politics get in the way of a lot of things in pro wrestling. We all know that. I'd love to see them go all the way with Shibata. I'd love to see them push Hanma. But what people have to understand is those things may never happen for reasons that have nothing sure. to do with in-ring or charisma or or even business. It just might not happen. So, um, But yeah, my overriding theme here is I don't think it's a big deal at all. That Hama didn't win. That did. That Hama did not win a match. But I know that you have a slightly different take. I have a slightly different. Yeah, and and, and again, I, I'm just sort of playing the devil's advocate here. It, it, it's not something to me that that I thought was a, a glaring mistake of, of of terrible booking and oh my god, you know, missed opportunity of that sort of stuff. To me, the Shibata one, I, I see people's argument there, but 
as we sort of mentioned, that Shibata, I think, is on a completely different level than him. Yeah, he lost to, to, to Gallows and, and whatever. But to me, yeah, if they were booked for the last day, that would have been a cool story where Honda sort of knocks him out. But as you mentioned, that's Shibata losing to the worst guy in the roster. The, 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 the worse than Yoshihashi is, is essentially how you can put it. So to me, that's not good. So that that's... You wouldn't want to do that. Now, the Shelton one, I sort of said I would have been okay with him beating Shelton. I think it would have been a decent idea. And here's here's sort of my thought on it. I get your thought where you can have it be a big thing. But to me, I don't think Hanma ever is going to be that. You sort of said that, too, is that he's sort of at this level. and He's always been at this level. And to me, that's why the win against Shelton, to me, it wouldn't have mattered one way or another. And my reasoning is he beats Shelton. All that is is kind of a, a throw this guy a bone. He got over during this G1 tournament. It was really cool. The fans got behind him, and then it's over, and then he just kind of goes back into what Hanma was going to do anyway because I feel like that's what's going to happen regardless. You know, people are thinking that he's getting over. He's doing this sort of stuff that, okay, well, now they've made a new star. To me, I don't know if they necessarily did. I think he's a star in this tournament, but I think two months down the line, he'll get the reactions that Hanma just always kind of gets. I don't think everybody's ready for a, a mega Hanma run. So for me, it was a throw it a throw him a bone. Hey, nice effort, you know, all week. You know, let's pop a, 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 a let's pop the crowd real quick, and that's it. Because to me, I wouldn't waste anybody in a big pay per view match against him. As you mentioned, I, I th- that's one of the reasons why I asked you who you would have him beat. And you had guys like Tanaka and that sort of stuff. And it's like, well, you know, is that. I don't know if that's worth waiting for is Hanma beating Tanaka. You, you, you know what I'm saying? No, I, I, I see what you're saying. So to me, it's, it's nothing. It, to me, it's a self contained And that's, I think that's the biggest argument is that it's not a big deal. It does not matter at all. So, so people arguing that this is some giant thing, I might differ from you on, on, on how I would approach it, but overall it's not a big deal. So that's why if he beats Shelton, it's not a big deal. If he doesn't beat Shelton, it's not a big deal. Either. I mean, to me, in two months, he's back to what Hanma is. I mean, <laughs> the next pay-per-view, he's just Hanma. Even in this match, I mean, the, uh, against Naito, the crowd was into him, but it was just sort of out of the element of the tournament, there wasn't the same intrigue. The intrigue is that he was he hadn't won, and when's the win going to come? That was the intrigue. I don't think on, a, on a, any normal, I don't think in Destruction and Kobe, people are going to go, oh, man, is this the time Hanma's going to win? I think it was a self-contained sort of G1 climax story that now that it's done, it's done. I listen, we and that's the other thing too. You don't know it's like I said he was never booked in this to begin with. So we don't know what they have planned for the guy. Maybe there is some long-term plan for him at some point and why blow the win in a tournament where he was Yeah, if there is. Okay, I get that. You know yeah. I mean? why, and... why blow that win in a tournament he was never booked in to begin with if it's going to ruin your long-term plan? If you have something planned for him down the line. So to me, that's why it's not a big deal. I just don't think they do. Well, and, and that's sort of my I, argument. I don't either. And I hope that they do at some point. But I'm with you. I really don't think that they have anything planned for him. And, and that's and that's why Twitter's sometimes a, a really bad way to, to get across what you're trying to say. And that's sort of – I'm glad we've had this avenue to talk about it because I, I was arguing with a few people when I was saying that. And that's that's really my point is because I don't think that there's anything planned for him. So that if he just beats Shelton Benjamin on the final day of the G1, the crowd goes crazy. Everybody cheers. Yay, Hanma got his win. And then, you know, the next night we're back to just normal and it's over and, and it's done and nobody cares because I don't really think that they're saving this win for something big. And if they're saving it for someone big, who is that big person? As I, I asked you and you, you know, Masato Tanaka and a few other guys here. To me, that's not worth saving for building up to. I don't think anybody's going to care one way or another. He gets his little reaction because he's the underdog and, and that's it. I think people got really hyped by watching him and, the, and the, the reactions that he got and stuff. But I think a lot of that is self-contained within the tournament. I think people got into this tournament story not necessarily the guy. I think when it's all said and done, Hanma's what Hanma was before the tournament. And, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't Look, know. Look, the but thing that, is, that's sort of my the thing. underdog story is a great story until he wins. Then the story, mm-hmm. then the story is over. 
So, you know, every the great underdog stories always end when the guy finally, you know, Mikey Whipwreck never went on a huge winning streak. You know what I mean? It's like when you're when you're an underdog, you once you're blowing that load once you win. So you better be careful when you pick that spot mm-hmm. because it's over at that point. The dynamic changes. And then it's up to the performer whether they can go. Look, the guy's great. We don't know what will happen if he wins. So, you know, I kind of like that he always loses. I think that's part of the fun. You know, and then when I, you know, eventually, yeah, I think he'll win a match at some point, big match, but it, you know, it wouldn't shock me if it never happens, though. You know, it, it, you know, he, he could, you know, it's, it's who knows. But, uh, I, I think where we both agree is it wasn't some kind of, you know, epic. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're arguing scheme. here, but I mean, it does geez, not matter. We're talking about the last guy on the roster. Can we pump the brakes? Jeez, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal that this guy didn't win a match. I could take it easy. Um, they booked they booked twenty two people to have independent stories throughout a two week tournament, uh, but this one guy sucked. So but this, you know, guy, they, they this guy went zero and ten instead of one and nine, and we're gonna complain. That's that's <laughs> a, some big miscue. I mean, jeez, it's the last guy on the roster. He wasn't even booked in the damn thing. Let's relax. Really, not that he big. Just a happened deal. to be there in the arena when they needed him. So. It's 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 yeah. really not that big a deal in my opinion. Mm. But. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's uh, that's your G1 final. I mean, uh, you know, we've got two destruction shows coming up in September. One of, iPay-per-view. One of which has been announced for iPay-per-view. Yes. Presumably, they will both be on iPay-per-view. Uh, this is a similar deal to the two new beginnings. They're going to run the two destruction shows. So uh, both of those will happen in September before the October 1st deadline. And then beyond that, who knows? It looks like uh, Ring of Honor is toying with uh, handling their own commerce for their iPay-per-views. And they're going to be testing it out, according to Court Bauer. Uh, so maybe uh, since they're working closely with New Japan, New Japan, if they feel like it's a significant part of their business, and the fact that they continue to push the Bullet Club leads me to believe that they do consider the Western world a significant part of their business, uh, maybe they will follow Ring of Honor's lead and and uh, and and handle their own commerce and continue on uh, with Ustream handling the uh, the at least the broadcast portion of their eye pay-per-views. The ring of honor show is going to air on ring of honor.com on their website, but it will be handled uh, via Ustream. So, yeah. And, and that's sort of the different dynamic that, that some people are still not quite getting is, is the way to really look at it. And, and I think the easiest way to break it down is that Ustream wanted to get out of the payment and the support and all that sort of stuff. They don't want, they don't want you to go to Ustream. They, 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 they're fine with being the back end. They're fine with being, you know, giving you the code and give you the embed code and you can put it on your website and we'll sort of work on the back end. But we don't want to handle payments. And if the thing breaks down, we don't want anybody emailing us. Right. They don't want to email you. They're not interested right. in customer service or collecting money. Right. You do all that stuff. We'll do all the back end. We have all this technology. We'll broadcast we'll do, it for you, but we don't yeah. want to collect the money for you. That's your, exactly. that's your problem. We'll, we'll give you a secure page. But, you know, that, that's it. We don't want to take the money. We don't want to deal with your angry customers when Larry Dallas kicks a wire out of the back of a computer <laughs> and the feed drops. We don't want to deal when with the Russian When the Russian lady gets in the frame. for Right. Or when, when Hanma's Yakuza buddies come into the building and decide that they're taking over and they yank the thing off the air. We don't want to give everybody a refund. They don't want to deal with any of that. So, uh, so yeah, so we'll see. But, so, you know, the deadline's October 1st. And it looks like all these companies, you know, Dragon Gate's got a pay-per-view coming up the day of SummerSlam. So all these companies are going to continue on until that due date. Uh, until that, I'm sorry, that deadline date of uh, October 1st. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that, that's, that's your G1 story. Um, you know, it's, we got too much to talk about. We're not going to wrap up the entire tournament here and, 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 and go through it. Look, it's pretty simple, Rich. I think, you know, 
everyone knows it was great. So we don't need to sit here and tell everybody how great it was for the millionth time. Um, it was a great tournament. A lot of really smart people who have seen a lot of wrestling and a lot of wrestling tournaments are calling it the greatest tournament of all time. Um, I believe it's the greatest wrestling tournament of all time and not to pat myself on the back, but I've seen my share of wrestling tournaments in my day as well. Uh, but if you don't respect my opinion, you got people like Dave Meltzer, Mike Sempervivi, who have all said that this is the greatest tournament of all time. And those are guys who've seen a hell of a lot of wrestling and a hell of a lot of wrestling tournaments as well. So uh, at least in the opinions of a lot of people who who know what the hell they're talking about, uh, this is is, is is definitely at least in the conversation of the greatest tournament of all time. It may very well Certainly. may very well be the greatest tournament of all time. There may be four or five best show of the year contenders on this show on in this tournament. Uh, in my estimation, it's the greatest G1 of all time. Of course, I have not seen them all start to finish. I've seen every final. I'm almost positive I've seen every final. I'd have to look at a list. Um, I've seen, let's see. Obviously, last year and this year, start to finish, 2012, most of it, 11, most of it. There were some years in there where I wasn't as interested in New Japan, where, you know, obviously you're just going to watch the final and matches that are hyped. Um, and then there's some early years where not a lot of footage either emerged or I didn't feel like putting through the effort. So you see, I've definitely seen, I can confidently say I've seen every final. It might be one or two finals I didn't see, but I'm pretty sure I've seen them all. And I've definitely seen at least a couple of matches from every G1. This is easily the best G1 of all yeah. time. Last year was the best G1, and this blew last year away. Yeah, and I think that's really the measuring stick for me is that that we sat here at this exact same time last year and said, wow, this is the best G1 ever. This might be the best wrestling tournament ever. And, and to me, we said it, you know, I, I think it was day eight or nine that we said here, okay, this is already beaten you know, last year's. And if, unless we have some stinkers of matches, there's no way this one's not going to top it. And then we had, you know, three other days that weren't, weren't spectacular, but still were really good. But the meat of this show, I mean, man, you look at days, like, look at day, I mean, day, day <laughs> ridiculous. Incredible. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at the list right now. You have one, incredible. two, three, four, five, six matches that we rated above four stars. Yeah. Day four had two, uh, day five had three, day six. I mean, there was this, this chunk here. Day seven. Four to eight. And, and, had the styles uh, Suzuki. Yep. Just unbelievable. Just, 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 yeah, to me, th there's no doubt in my mind that it's, it's, I would really have to go back and watch a lot of these old tournaments that, that a lot of people are mentioning and, and that sort of stuff. But for me in present day, you know, modern of the past five to 10 years this is the best tournament in wrestling. Yeah. So I guess the only other thing I would say is that the, 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 the final night itself was a, was a good show. I think it would be the best show for a lot of promotions this year. Uh, for a lot of promotions in the world this year, this would be the best show for a lot of them. So I yeah. think to some extent it was a victim of, uh, of the new Japan. High yeah. Level. It's ultimately disappointing, but, but in, in, in its own world, it would be fine. Yeah. Sure. If you, if you, if you had not watched any G1s, if you watched the show a year down the line, you're probably gonna think it's a lot better than it was. What did you think of the arena? I was kind of, that's not a good arena for wrestling. I didn't mind it. I mean, the bottom line is if it was full, like any other arena, if it's full, nobody knows. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know. there was just weird spacing. You got the trees in the back background everything's green it's like it it was odd somebody somebody put it really well i don't know um i think it was fatal glory on the, on the observer boards uh put that it looked like a street fighter stage which i thought was perfect too because they're just like in the background there's just like people walking in front of like trees and stuff you're like what is going and just like everything's like weird colored and stuff but it was fine yeah if all those if all those bleachers are, the, the green bleachers are filled with bodies it doesn't matter and it looked better once it got night during the day and, and that's with any sort of open air arena like i i remember like there's you know wrestlemania 8 is one that 
it wasn't open air, but it's at the Hoosier Dome, and you could see through the dome. And when it's when it's bright out, it just looks weird. But then when it gets dark, it sort of looks okay. You know what I mean? I, listen, I don't know why anybody goes to these huge stadium shows. I I gotta tell you, the last thing I want to do is sit a mile and a half away up in some terrible seat where you end up watching the big right. screen anyway. I just I will never. Understand. I argue with people out that every year about going to WrestleMania. Oh, I want to go. I really want to go to WrestleMania. I went, man. I I go for all the other weekends, and I would I'd be fine getting on a plane and leaving on the day of WrestleMania. I don't really need. I mean, if the ticket's five bucks. And I could just sit there to be there, then it'd be cool. But I mean, if I'm sitting there and I actually want to watch it, what the hell? I mean, like, you're not gonna be anywhere near anything. Like, that's why, like, the Allstate Arena is my favorite arena to watch wrestling because you're right on top of everything. There's, you know, there's fifteen thousand people at, you know, max. To, it, it, to me, that's better than ninety thousand. Like, you're just a, I mean, I mean, you're just there's yeah, just a hassle to do everything. It sucks to go to the bathroom. It sucks to leave. It sucks to park. Like, it's just. If you're a super fan. I guess you just want to be there. That's one thing. But I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't imagine going to the Cebu Dome and sitting you know, in a baseball stadium where you can't even see the ring. And well, did you see the, yeah, did you see some of the, the pictures? Like, Atsume put one, and he was like, well, <laughs> can't see the ring. Can't see like, shit, yeah, I mean. I, like, his, his, he was eye level with, like, people and not the ring. Like, the ring wasn't elevated, so it was just, yeah, it was yeah, terrible. Yeah, I don't know, but, yeah, so. But, yeah, uh, you know. I'm an arena guy. I get I get oddly passionate about the way arenas look and that sort of stuff, but that's fine. But that's the G1 Climax, so. Uh, what do you want to hit on next? We got tons of good Alberto stuff. Alberto Del Rio. Okay, Alberto Del Rio and um, Adios, amigo. Uh, <laughs> that's the best way to put it. So, uh, for people who uh, did not know uh, the story behind that, I mean, you sure you probably know by now, but he was fired um, after slapping an employee. It was a social media Hold manager on a for, second, for WWE. Oh. I thought he was fired because uh, the WWE are racist. Is racist. Are yeah. racist uh, right. dick. Uh, well, there's a prominent article by a prominent wrestling website. Let me see if I can find the headline. Uh, it says Alberto Del Rio was fired because the WWE are racist dickbags. <laughs> this is an actual title of an article by a prominent wrestling website with spandex. And you could probably guess. With, I mean, with, we'll, with, we'll, we'll be as vague as humanly possible. No, no, no. But with, you... with spandex. Okay, yeah. so how vague is that? Not very uh, vague. <laughs> let me see if I could find it. Oh, he. Oh, the title has been changed. Okay, maybe it was the Twitter. WWE fired Alberto Del Rio because someone else made a racist joke at his expense. Yeah, the I think that. I think the Twitter. I, I. I think when he linked to the article, he said that the racist digbet part. But I think that's has always been the headline. Now, from what I. Now, yeah. But it's still I a wrong headline. Tweet, it's still tweet, not accurate. The tweet was, and I'm not looking at the tweet. The tweet was WWE fires Alberto Del Rio because they are racist dickbags. That was the tweet. If I'm not mistaken. And then now that's so clickbaity because then when you read the article, he goes on to say Del Rio gets fired for putting his hands on a fellow employee, which is reasonable, I'll admit. Well, then why the hell did your tweet say that Alberto Del Rio was fired from WWE because WWE is racist dickbags? Did you did you find the um, the, the headline? Because I have it in front of me right now. I have the article in front of me, but I don't. Have Oh, here's the, here's the tweet if you're saying, uh, or if you'd prefer, because I think he put out the initial thing and then did a clickbaity, or if you'd prefer this story about WWE firing our boats with Del Rio because they are racist dickbags. That's what it says, right? Yeah. Yep. That's the tweet. How clickbaity is that? Alberto Del Rio was not fired because WWE is racist dickbags. Alberto Del Rio was fired because he slapped an office employee in the face. Because <laughs> he assaulted in a fellow employee. That's why he was fired. Can we please get that straight? And you have all these people online. Now listen, there's so many angles to approach this. And this story has so many layers. And it's just, it's this typical thing in wrestling these days where everything is either a phobia 
or uh, or or ist. Mm -hmm. You're either racist or you're sexist. And everything that they do is some grandiose overall look at their psychology as a a company and what they sort of like from top down. Everybody in the company has a certain way that they feel. And the, the random stories that come out of nowhere, those are all instances of them being racist or sexist or you know it's it just everything is like a grandiose Every, overall picture of this company like there are people in the wrestling media who uh, cannot wait to call you xenophobic homophobic uh some kind of phobic some kind of ist they just cannot wait to pounce and throw those things at people and the fact of the matter is alberto del rio slapped a man in the face adios amigo he got exactly what he deserves to be fired. You can't slap yeah. someone in the face in your company. And regardless not, of what they do. Regardless yeah. of what they do and be fired. And I'm not even saying that he was wrong to slap the guy in the face. If the guy made a racist, if the guy said that's Alberto Del Rio's job at cleaning up the plate and it was intended to be mean-spirited and Alberto Del Rio approached the man, man to man, and asked him if he did it, and the guy admitted it, and he wouldn't apologize. You know what? I don't know if I could blame Alberto Del Rio for slapping the guy across the grill. But you know what? He also deserves to be fired. Yeah, there's consequences there's to that. There's consequences to that action, even if you think it's a principled action. Even if you think that this piece of shit deserved to get slapped in the face, which he very well may have or may not have, and I'll get to that, you still can't say you know, that, that, you can't find that the guy was fired because the company is racist. That's not true. He was fired because he slapped the guy in the face. You can't do that. And and I did want to mention this real quick too, because reading reading an exact quote from from the story that you're sort of talking about here, it's on uh, the uh, the with Spanix is uh, to recap: a guy makes an LOL Mexicans should be doing the dishes joke. Del Rio confronts him. Uh, the keyboard warrior uh, puffs it and <laughs> gets slapped. Uh, Del Rio gets fired for putting his hands on a fellow employee, which is reasonable, I'll admit. And the social media manager gets what exactly? Is he forbidden to tweet about how much the WWE Network costs this week? What's the other side of this? Well, if you do any bit of research, you'll find out WWE does not publicly list when when employees get fired. We don't when when, when non wrestling employees. So we have, we no, have goddamn no idea, idea. what so happened. The minute the guy got back there, you, they said, "Get out of here, you're gone." Why are you please. assuming he he kept his job? Right. We don't. Terrible journalism, by the way. Right we there. We have no but. idea if the guy kept his job. At least at the at the at the point that we're recording this. We have no idea if the guy is still employed or not. No clue. And we may never know. Uh, You know, I certainly am not capable of finding that information out. Maybe Dave Meltzer will do some digging. Maybe Wade Keller. Maybe Dave. I don't know. Mike Johnson maybe can find out. I can't. We don't know if the guy got fired or not. They might have fired both of them, which is fine. I don't have a problem with firing the other guy either. But here's the other thing too, Rich. In life, context is everything. Context doesn't just matter. Context is everything. And I learned that from Jim Norton, the great comedian Jim Norton. Yeah. Who is a huge proponent of, he can, he's one of these guys who knows, and as a comedian, this is very important to him, that we are going down this slippery slope as a society where freedom of speech is going away. Because of all these people who want to jump on your case for being an ism or a phobic and want to throw that at everybody uh, you know, when they speak. Context does, and, and, these, and to these people, context never matters. And that's ridiculous. Context is the only thing that matters. The only thing that may see, it's, it means everything context. And I'm gonna, I can give you a thousand examples of that WWE employee 
saying that's Alberto's job to clean up the dish where it isn't racist whatsoever. Whatsoever. Not even by someone like me who finds nothing racist. I am dating, I am currently dating a Hispanic woman. And all we do when we're together is make cracks at each other. Yeah. Because some people can handle that. She makes fun of me for being a wop dago Italian. I make fun of her uh, for being Hispanic, and we have fun with it, and it, it just is what it is. Some people can handle yeah. it, some people can't. Yep, I have I have plenty of of black, Asian, Mexican friends, and all, and, and a majority of the, <laughs> the the jokes we crack are completely racist, and I don't care. Context. I'm the stuffy white guy. Yeah. They're the good at math Asian guy. It's just it, whatever. Context doesn't matter. And Context then we, we we slap each other. You know, we we do a, a high five, and then it's it's over. Context it's whatever. Is everything. It's but yeah. I'll give you a, a, one of those thousand examples right now. They're sitting at catering, eating this meal, and maybe they're sitting around, and maybe there's a black guy at the table saying, you know, I'm getting sick and tired of coming to work every Monday to Raw, and I come to TV, and uh, every time I come to the arena, the security guard uh, assumes that I'm a wrestler because I'm black because I must be an athlete, and I can't be an executive, and oh, yeah, I, I'm sick and tired of that, and they have a laugh about it. And then the, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Hispanic guy uh, gives a little anecdote, and then uh, the white guy gives his little anecdote, and they're just bullshitting, sitting around, talking like people do. And then the meal's over, and they stand up, and somebody says to the guy, hey, uh, you might want to get your plate. And the guy goes, because of the context of the conversation they just had, hey, yeah, you know what, that's Alberto's job. And they all have a good laugh. That just means the guy made a clever quip, because they were just talking about race and stereotypes. That's not a racist joke. That's a clever quip in the context of the conversation they were just having. Right. And you and nobody has any idea what, no, we have no what clue. context he said that in. Nobody does. Unless but let's assume that he was just like, Urgh, Mexicans, I hate them. Now, do I think that there was probably something there? It's a, yeah, sure. It's possible that he was just a racist. But at the same time, who who does that? Who just comes out and makes a horrible racist joke like that's and and that's that that's something we were. Um, it, it's actually interesting. It's it's off you know wrestling topic, but uh, Jason Mann and I, who WrestleSpective, you know, host WrestleSpective on this very website, uh, we do a uh, we started a new NBA podcast, and we're talking about Rick Barry. Uh, I don't know if you know if you're familiar with the story with Rick Barry and Bill Russell, where he um, famously they were on uh, they were on the same booth at some point, and Rick Barry sort of they showed a picture of an old an old picture of Bill Russell, and he said, oh, that's just a watermelon eating grim. There. Well, Bill Russell took it horribly and like bigger got fired and all that sort of stuff. And he always alluded to, look, look at my history. I've never done anything. I've never said anything racist, this sort of stuff. This wasn't, you know, intent. This is just something that maybe this is a word that I, yeah, I didn't mean it in the same way that a lot of people sort of, because, because people now, anytime that this sort of stuff happens and, and, and in that context, if you just look at it and, oh, he said that Bill Russell has a watermelon eating grin or whatever is without knowing, as you said, the context of it is that these guys, he thought they were sort of friends. He didn't think you know, in his mind, he didn't really go and think, oh, wow, if I say this is going to be, you know, totally, you know, it, it, he didn't, that didn't come through his mind. It was a guy who had, who said something in, in the, the heat of the moment or that sort of stuff. That doesn't make you inherently racist because you said something that is, you know, he was, he racist was, remarks was don't make you, a racist. I, I'm exactly. trying to figure out here's, the right thing. Here's say. what you're trying to say, Rich. He thought he was fucking around with his buddy. Right. It, yeah. it, his buddy didn't take it that way. That doesn't make Rick Barry a racist. But if, no, but if no. Rick Barry went on TV now and did that, he'd be labeled a racist by everybody. Right, without any other without history Without any of context, yeah. history. You can't, right, right. you can't even make a mistake anymore. You can't even make a mistake because then you're labeled for life. Because these people are so quick to want to label everybody and jump down their throat. We have no clue the context that that statement was made under. 
None. But everyone wanted to label not only that guy, but the entire company racist dickbags. Racist dickbags. And you don't even know the context of the statement. Because these kind of people who write articles like this are weirdos who don't care about context. And they must live these holier-than-thou lives. I'm telling you, man, the, the lives these people must live must be holier-than-thou, where they, they just – the context doesn't matter. Everything <gasps> – gasp, that's racist. I mean, how do you live like that? How do you live like that? It, it, it's amazing to me. You don't know the context that this statement was made. It, you know, he could very well be a racist dickbag. And, here, and here's, my, here's the thing that I wonder about. It has now come out that Alberto Del Rio approached the guy, demanded an apology, and the guy refused to apologize. Now, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. This guy makes, let's, let's assume he made a stupid racist joke because he's a racist dickbag. If a 260-pound trained fighter, who, by the way, has a reputation for having a terrible temper, and that's that we know and that I, that's anecdotal on my end, and I'm not going to share the stories to 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 burn people who have told me things. But he's known to have a terrible temper. On top of being a trained fighter, approaches you and asks you for an apology for saying something that you. Why would the guy? It's very fishy to me that this guy refused to apologize. That leads me to believe that this guy didn't think he said anything wrong. Now that can mean one of two things. Number one. He's a racist dickbag who thinks it's okay to say things like that. Or, number two, he didn't say, in his mind, he didn't say anything wrong. Because maybe Alberto Del Rio didn't know the context of the statement. How come nobody looks at it from that point of view? Why? Because we're so quick to want to label everybody racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, transphobic, and every other phobic and ism that there is. Everything's racism and sexism. Yeah. Automatically automatically with no research with no context and it's bullshit we don't mm -hmm. nobody knows nobody knows and i think it's real fishy that this guy supposedly refused to apologize because i'll tell you what that was probably a very threatening situation that he was in when del rio approached him and chances are most people are going to apologize regardless hey look man i'm sorry what are you so hot about let's talk about it I'm sorry, if that's what you want to hear. You know what I mean? You see where I'm coming from? Yeah. And then, you know. Absolutely. And in, in this story as well, you know, Stroud used the term keyboard warrior, which is, is irony at its finest. But you, you have a guy who, to me, the, the, the entire connotation of a quote-unquote, as you're saying, a keyboard warrior, is that if some big dude like Alberto Del Rio comes up to you, that guy's going to say, hey, dude, you know, uh, you know he's going to apologize. He's pissing his pants apologizing to the guy, to his face. Right. I doubt he puffed up and said, what are you going to do about it? Like... Well, because <laughs> you know by I mean? definition, like, the keyboard warrior is only tough behind the keyboard. Exactly, right. That you can't use face that. To yet, face. Right. This guy mm -hmm. stood up to Alberto Del Rio. That doesn't mean, again, this, the guy could be 100% in the wrong. But I'm not going to claim to know. I, but I do find it fishy that he stood up to the guy. This huge man who's a trained fighter who's known to have a horrible temper. And by the way, if you think I'm just making that up or I'm anti-Del Rio or something, well, he slapped the guy silly. He showed you he has a horrible temper. We have proof now. 
And this wasn't just, a, he didn't just paintbrush the guy. Supposedly this was a, a Dr. D. David Schultz type fucking beating like that, that like he put on John Stossel. If you've seen that yeah. piece of footage, oh yeah, that's a hell of a slap. Did permanent damage to John Stossel's ears. He knocked this guy on his ass. I think I find it real fishy that he wouldn't apologize to him. It leads me to believe the guy, maybe what he said wasn't that ill-intended. Maybe we don't know the context. And I'm not even saying, look, we know in corporate America now, you can't joke. You can't do it. Most companies, when they hire you, will make you sign documents. I know the companies I work for have done this. You have to sign documentation saying you won't joke around like that. It, there's zero tolerance for any of that stuff because it only takes one little, you know, everyone works with that one guy, probably like the people who write these articles, you know. Everybody works with that one guy who runs the HR about everything. So, you know, companies nip this in the bud now, and you just you can't do it anymore. So whether the guy had ill intent or not, he's, he's wrong for saying it. And, and he may very well be fired. We don't know. Why is everyone assuming this guy's not fired? Yeah. We're all assuming he's... Uh, all, he's just sitting there doing whatever and his business as usual. Yeah, no, we're, all, we're all assuming, first yeah. of all, that he's a card-carrying Ku Klux Klan member who's a, 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 a horrible racist who... Uh, you know, uh, kills Hispanics on the weekends for fun and profit, and we're all assuming that he kept his job. What, why, are, why are we making those assumptions? You know, it, it's, it's, it's crazy to me. Because it's sexy. That's how the headlines are better that way. And that, that's, you know, when we're, we're, we're looking for ways to get angry, that's what we do. So, yep. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's who know, you know, hopefully we'll find out whether the guy got fired or not. Yeah, well, as far as I know, something. looking at his, guy, his LinkedIn right now yeah. says he's still a member, but he hasn't tweeted in, in, in over a week. So if he who didn't knows? get fired, if he didn't get fired, then that, that speaks volumes because they – Right, then we'll talk. These, no, well, here's the thing. Companies will fire you for far less than that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so it, it's just real fishy to me that he didn't apologize. I really – that really threw the wrench in it for me because in almost any scenario, someone's going to apologize when confronted. In, yeah. Under that scenario, by a very intimidating man, an intimidating and angry man confronts you for making a racist joke at his expense, and you're that he wasn't there to witness. By that the he way, he wasn't there but... to witness, and you're not gonna you're gonna refuse to apologize. And I'm sure it escalated from there, and you still refuse to apologize to the point yeah, that the, this this type of apology society, yeah, I, I... to the to the <laughs> point that the guy laid you out. Mm-hmm. Now, someone made the point of, all right, well, maybe the WWE culture is so bad that the guy really just doesn't think that what he said was wrong. And that's possible, too. I'm not – see, here's the thing. I'm not ruling out anything. But the social justice warriors are ruling out a lot of things, and that bothers me. That bothers me. We all know that WWE has a lot of problems when it comes to – uh, racism and sexism. Uh, they have a long history of problems with those issues, but uh, in situations like this where we don't know the facts uh, or the context or anything else, you got to be careful. You really have to be careful. And and the bottom line is, I don't care where you stand on it, whether you thought Alberto Del Rio should have decked the guy or not. And if you think Alberto Del Rio should have decked the guy, I don't even really have a problem with that stance either. I really don't. But you then you can't turn around and say he shouldn't have been fired, though. That's crazy. And to be fair, there's not a lot of people saying that he shouldn't have been fired. I think everyone pretty much agrees yeah, yeah. that it was that he should have been fired because you can't go around hitting people. I mean, you know, someone on Twitter. Mm, <laughs> someone on Twitter. Yeah, no, there, there's mean, people that are close. They're, they're, yeah, they, when confronted by it, they'll eventually say, yeah. But there's people bordering on the line of, oh, good, or, you know, he should have done it. or it, it, There's a weird I don't sort mind, of. Listen, I don't mind. 
find that because let me tell you, can I give you a personal anecdote? I was working yeah. for a company once and I was dating someone within the company who is a restaurant company. Uh, she worked in this was years ago. She worked in a different restaurant. We worked in different restaurants within the same company. Okay. And our boss, we shared the same boss and he was bilingual. He spoke English and Spanish and he was in her uh, location one day and was speaking Spanish to another Spanish speaking employee and a third employee who he didn't, a, a white person who he didn't think understood Spanish, understood every word he said. And he said some vile, disgusting things about the person that I was dating who was standing there with them in the room. You know, he turned to the busboy or whoever and said some, you know, sexual, I don't even remember exactly what they were anymore because it was so long ago. But he said some disgusting things about the person I was, and it just was, this wasn't just some girl I was dating. As a matter of fact, it's the girl who stole my dishes. I ended up being with her for many years and she's still my friend to this day. So this was a very serious relationship I was in. And this guy had made some vile, disgusting remarks in another language uh, in her presence, you know, directed towards her, sexual remarks. So I got the phone call. And I immediately hopped in my car with a baseball bat with every intention of going down there and beating this piece of shit into a bloody pulp. Knowing full well that I was probably going to be arrested and obviously lose my job because yeah. this person was my boss. I felt I was justified in beating the shit out of that guy though because he was making vile comments in another language about this, about this girl. And on top of that, I was dating that girl and he knew that I was dating that girl. And then he was going to come look me in the eye later that day. You know what I mean? The whole thing was disgusting to me. And I felt I was justified in beating the shit out of this guy. Cooler heads prevailed. I was talked out of it by the girl when I got there. And eventually we just, you know, it's not, you know, we went to HR. But eventually we just ended up leaving the company because the company was a disaster. Yeah. And they didn't do anything about it. And it was, that's a whole other story. But the fact of the matter is I can understand where Del Rio was coming from if this guy was a wormy little shit who was a racist and did make a vile joke towards him and wouldn't apologize. And I can understand the mentality that it was okay to crack the guy. But if that's the case, you have to, you have to accept the consequences as well. You know, and I knew full well in my situation that going down there, it was, you know, I was not going to keep my job if I ended up confronting this guy. Right. Cause whether it got physical or not, I was going to say things that were going to get me fired. And that's just the way it is. You, you have to, you know, in a corporate situation, you've got to, but if you, you, Unfortunately, you know, you've got to bite your tongue and go to HR. That's how you handle right. things like this. It sucks, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't run around punching people in the feet. Right, it's a slippery slope, and, and that's that's my issue too. Is it, and, and that's the thing that okay, I, I get in certain situations. That there's there's a time and a place, and there might be some situation where you ha you feel you have to do it. But but to me, I mean, I think there's people rooting for it and and, and cheering him on, and yeah, I, I, to me, that's just a weird slippery slope that we're just. I mean, again, these are the same people now that, that, that if something happens, that, that if it's somebody that they like and that was on the other side and it wasn't what, what they're considering a keyboard warrior or this sort of stuff, they wouldn't be rooting for assault to happen. But for this guy, they're saying, oh, yeah, beat his ass or whatever. Like, it, to me, it's just so hypocritical for the same people that would – everybody else shouldn't touch a fly, but, oh, this guy was being racist. Okay, Rich, if, it was, if, it was, if, it was a, uh, if it was a white, straight, male wrestler – who hit an office employee, these same people wouldn't even care about the reason. That's what I they mean. They would just say that the white male straight wrestler is an animal who can't control his temper and runs around hitting people. Exactly. That's, that's, to me, that's the root of that's it, where is, the, is the rooting, the rooting and cheering for this guy to assault another guy because, is ridiculous. Because you can yeah. immediately stand on your pedestal and scream racism and look for clicks. And look for clicks. That's the difference.
But either way, Alberto Del Rio, no longer a member of WWE. Adios, apparently, adios, amigo. Can't be hit. apparently, maybe at Triple Mania. It's his fiery Latin temper, Joe. That's the and reason. You know what? Here's the thing. <laughs> fiery Latin temper? Feel free to come slap. Feel free to have the lady come slap me if you that's, want. That's that's the kind of shit that I joke about. But anyway, um, yes, Alberto Del Rio. Now, here's the thing where we were going to take this conversation before the news broke today is here's a pretty high profile free agent that's available for the taking, but it looks like he's a free agent no longer as uh, like you just alluded to, he's going to apparently be at triple mania this Sunday. So I don't know if that means he signed a deal with triple a or, or whatever the case may be. But um, he, he, he supposedly, as far as we know now is going to be a triple mania. Do we, is he going to be, do we, do we learn anything yet? Is he going to be, uh, as far as I can tell, nothing. I, 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 the only thing I've seen is just kind of random tweets uh, about it. Let me see if anything else has been updated since we started recording. Cause we obviously recorded a little bit earlier into the day. Yeah. As far as I know, it's just that just sort of rumors that. Yeah. Uh, Arturo Rivera, the longtime voice of AAA, tweeted today that Alberto Del Rio would be appearing Sunday at triple mania. That's all Dave Meltzer has. So. And then there was something with Conan too in Spanish where he just mentioned Del Rio uh, in passing. So who knows? It could just be sort of him sitting in the crowd and, and waving and whatever. But he does have the no compete right now. But I think that might be a situation where AAA and, and maybe in the WWE well, just say, hold what? on now. Is there, is there a no compete when you're fired? I mean, he was. Uh, there is, yes. Okay. I'm almost five. Yeah, I'm almost five. There still is as a result. This is I, a I mean, term- I, I could now, be wrong. Now, hold on. This is a. This is a termination. This, this is a termination with cause and everything else. This isn't like a release or they didn't come to an agreement with him. They fired him. So um, I don't know. Things could be a little different with that. I'm not, I'm not sure how it all works. That stuff. Always- and that might be that, that they might say that they have a no complete, no computer. So, you know, something like that. We're, we're in a situation where maybe AAA or Del Rio goes, look, you fired me. How, you know, why would I have a, a no computer? So, so that, that could be a situation where, where he said, you know, screw it. Yeah, maybe they say I have it, but there's no way they can it'll hold up in court. You know what I'm saying? So he might have it. I mean, as far as everything I've read, he does have that. And guys that get fired do have that. But it's, it's something that it's just like, whatever. Well, this all broke right before we started recording. So exactly. This, so we're, we're getting sort of bits and pieces. This might here, be but... more clear when people listen to it. But um, um, hey, look, <laughs> hey, look, let me tell you something. If if if. If this guy really was, you know, some dickhead making a racist joke, I, you know, you know, good for Del Rio. Because the other thing, too, about Del Rio is, um, you know, word has it he wasn't going to renew after his contract. Ended anyway. Right, he's getting out anyway. So, you so. know, if you got this if you got this guy who's uh, making Mexican jokes at you. And, he, and maybe it's not the first time and, he's done it, maybe, We don't know. Maybe it's Again, not the first time he's done know. it. And maybe he's being real smarmy about it. And you're thinking to yourself, you know what? Fuck this little wormy piece of shit. Um, you know, someone's got to teach him a lesson. And he cracked him in the mouth. Yeah, you know what? I, I can't, you know. I can't really fault them for that, but geez, can we learn the facts before we start, you know, calling everybody a racist? Exactly. Yeah. That's- let's get the, let's get the first article out here as soon as humanly possible, and then put these ridiculous headlines and 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 not even do any bit of research on it. But yeah, that, a lot of interesting stuff with the Del Rio stuff. So uh, let, let's stick with WWE here, and obviously the big event uh, this Sunday, SummerSlam. Uh, main event obviously is um, oh god, I've seen Brock Lesnar. I was looking at the list, and for some reason Ambrose and Rollins was listed at the bottom. But uh, yeah, li- you want me to go over this card real quick, and then maybe we can talk, or do you want to go one by one? Let's go run through the card, and then I'll give you. My okay, all right. Let's start here in a lumberjack match. Uh, uh, Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins. Remember two months ago when I said I was really pumped about this feud and I couldn't wait? I remember. Yeah, well, now there's a lumberjack match, and now I don't care. So, there, hey, go ahead, run run through the whole card. Yeah, I, we'll, I got we'll a lot go back to, to say. Yes. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, the Lumberjack match, I have a lot to say, too. We have a singles match for the Intercontinental title. We have The Miz versus Dolph Ziggler. The Miz, obviously, the champion. Uh, we have Roman Reigns versus Randy Orton. That's, I'm sure, the one you're going to get the popcorn ready for. Uh, AJ Lee versus Paige for the Divas title. Hopefully, that's better than Battleground. Uh, Jack Swagger versus Rusev in a flag match. Uh, Brie Bella versus Stephanie McMahon. Uh, we have a Chris Jericho, Bray Wyatt. Uh, and this is a match where Luke Harper and Eric Rowan are barred from ringside. And then the main event is John Cena versus Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. Okay, Lumberjack match. God damn it. <laughs> Why? The, no. The Lumberjack match. Just the, the worst. The Lumberjack match is the bear hug of match stipulations. Meaning, they never need to happen again. They're outdated. Uh, they, they're never good. And, yeah, and, when's honestly the last good Lumberjack well, match? Well, someone brought up the Tanahashi-Devitt Lumberjack match, which was shockingly good. Um, but other than that, you, you really have to really struggle to come up with one that wasn't terrible i mean yeah I... <laughs> it's just a terrible match stipulation it's so 1980s you know what i mean it's just ugh, it's like it's 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 when you see a, a bear hug in a match and you're just like why are you doing a bear hug? it's like the same thing it's like you see a lumberjack match and now so you're like why on earth would anybody book a lumberjack match it's just it's just so awful, and I kind of understand where they're coming from with the storyline because these guys keep uh, Ambrose keeps interfering in, in Rollins' matches, and they keep having these wild brawls all over the building. The cage works too. So you know? it's like, like you know to keep them in the ring. You know we'll, we'll have these lumberjacks. So you know we'll bring out the superstars and main event you know crew to surround the ring. You'll have your Titus O'Neils out there, Xavier Woods, Xavier who Woods has a PhD there, by the way, a PhD, aware, and uh, they'll be surrounding the ring and, and and throwing the guy. It's just such a bad stipulation, and it can't do anything but hurt the match because you're gonna have these control drive spots where they throw each other out of the ring just so the crowd can pop. You know, he'll throw Rollins out of the ring and the babyface lumberjacks will run over there to throw him back in. And it's just so stupid. And, you know, uh, Rollins will get thrown out uh, on the heel side and the heels, you know, they'll be patting him on the back and, 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 and not in a hurry to get him back into the ring. And the baby faces will come. It's just, it's the same tired tropes. And why in 2014, this is what I always talk about. The, you know, let's progress the art of professional wrestling. You yeah. cannot stay in the past. Especially WWE, man. They, they're, it's becoming more and more glaring with this WWE network and the fact that they're just they're not changing anything from what they've done 15 years ago. It's the same stuff. Every match, every camera angle, every ring, every entryway. Every, I mean, it's just identical. The steps are the same. Just everything. If Joe Lanza was running a wrestling company, the first thing I would do is never have a lumberjack match ever again. <laughs> The second thing I would do is tell the entire crew that no one is to ever apply a bear hug ever again. I mean, these are just, we need to move forward. Wrestling needs to progress like everything else. And it's just, things like this just set wrestling backwards. I mean, you can't be having lumberjack matches in 2014. You just can't. Who wants to see that? Nobody. The answer is nobody, Rich. Nobody wants to see a lumberjack match. That was announced. There isn't a single fan. Even the, the most nine-year-old... Uh, Clueless fit. Nobody wants to see a lumberjack match. No one wants to see that. You can't convince me that anybody wants to see a lumberjack match. Have I made it clear? Yeah, I'm, honestly, yeah, matches? I, 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 no one wants to see it. No, I, I, I would be shocked. I, I'm going to put a Twitter question out here right put now. Put a Twitter question out, and yeah. I want to make fun of the person who says they want to see. I, if someone says they want to see a lumberjack match, I want to rip them on the air because that deserves to be ripped. How should, how should we phrase this question here to try to get? peak answers uh does anybody want to see a lumberjack match ever i guess uh, no 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 let's say i'm trying to figure out the best way to get it like where uh is 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 a lumberjack match 
Is anybody excited about the potential? Uh, no, I, I don't know how to word it. Uh, is the lumberjack match a good stipulation? No, you can't. I don't. I don't know how you can phrase it. It's so because I, I I'm trying to figure out the way to get that one person to say it. But. <laughs> is there anybody? Is there anybody who legitimately wants to see a lumberjack match? How about that? Okay. Is there anybody out there who legitimately wants to see a lumberjack match in 2014? Now, if you say that, they're going to know that we're baiting them. So leave out the 2014. I put, is there anybody who legitimately wants to see a lumberjack match regardless of the competitors? Right. So. Add your two favorite guys and throw them in a lumberjack match. Would you want to see it? Because this is a match that I want to see, but I don't because it's a goddamn lumberjack match. Yeah, it match. completely like, sucks all the uh, anticipation from me. Like anything. I would have taken any. I would have taken them in a flag match, for God's sakes, for no reason. Like, and, and you mentioned it's so funny what they've done to the cage match in WWE that they, they've... <laughs> in a match where they want to keep guys from interfering, not the cage match, because the cage match is where the guys interfere. Yes. You you do a lumberjack match where you want guys to not interfere, but all that's going to happen is every time they go out of the ring, people are going to beat them up. Right. And then at some point, Dean Ambrose is going to, what's going to happen? Seth Rollins is going to jump over the ring, take out all the baby faces because they're all going to be clumped up or something. And then at some point, Dean Ambrose is going to punch all the, it's just like, God. Well, we, and they've done, we, I mean, like. We talked about it during the Cena Wyatt feud. Uh, when they Wyatt, the Wyatt family wouldn't interfere until they had a cage match, where in theory there should be no interference. That's when the Wyatt family interfered during the cage match. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, we've forgotten what the stipulations mean. And you're right. This, in theory, should be a cage match, not a lumberjack match. If it's going to accomplish, you know, the goal of of what the storyline has been telling us here. But this is WWE. I mean, why are we trying to make sense of this? I don't know. I don't it's... know why. But uh, we have some responses here. We have Jonathan Sullivan, who who I usually enjoy, but he says, I don't mind them. Wrong step for Ambrose Rollins, but I have no hatred for Lumberjack matches. You are blocked, sir. I believe blocked that You man. are blocked. Block that yep, you're done. Pub publicly shame Sullivan. Who else? <laughs> uh, we have Larry Zonka, who just put uh, out of work Lumberjacks, and then Dylan Hales, who put the Lumberjacks who are getting paychecks for a night's quote-unquote work. So I get that. But now we're... That's a uh, not unless they get the brawny man out there. Yeah. So now we're just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, the the bottom line here is uh, no one seems too enthused with the idea of a lumberjack match. Uh, now you can throw it out there that by the way we're using your responses on the air and see if that uh, changes their minds here. But um, it's just a, it's just a horrible stipulation that needs to go away. Um, as far as this card goes, the only match I'm really looking forward to with any kind of level of interest is Cena versus Lesnar. I am not into the Stephanie Bree thing. I don't know where you fall on that. I know a lot of people are very excited about it. I think it's cool, it. but I don't want to see a match. Here's the thing. Here's what I'll say about Stephanie and Bree. Stephanie has performed very well in building the match. I think the build for the match has been excellent. All the performers involved are doing a great job. But that doesn't mean I want to see the match. And I really don't want to see the match, and I really don't care about the match. And um, I don't really think it'll be a match. It'll be more like a... It'll be like a long segment disguised as a match, which is fine, and I do think people will be into it. It's just not for me. I couldn't possibly care less about Stephanie. And yeah, at a pay-per-view, it doesn't. I mean, the story's cool or whatever, and it's fun, and everybody's competing well, and there, there's a background to it. But as a match, I, I don't it's care. It's not what I want out of my wrestling. Right. I don't care about the story. Well, when I, I sit down for a pay-per-view, it, it's going to be a point where I'm going to kind of groan or just kind of – I'm not going to groan, but I'm just going it, to – it's not going to mean anything to me. It's going to be a, a point. And, and, and it's, it's nothing against how they've done it or how the build-up's been or whatever. It's just – it's not my – when I sit down and watch a three-hour wrestling pay-per-view, I want to 
see guys in the ring. I don't want to, and, and or guys or girls. It, but this is going to be, as you mentioned, an angle. Yeah, it's it's going to be, be a long a, angle. It, it's what we talk right. about all the time. The WWE is a variety show, and there's going to be stuff that you like. There's going to be stuff that you hate, and there's going to be stuff that you're that you don't care about on a typical WWE Raw or pay per view. And this is just one of those segments where this is not for me. Rich, this is uh, not something that's going to excite me, and it's not for me, and I don't care about it. But uh, and that and, and and again, I do think that they've built it well. Uh, I would argue it's the best built thing on the show. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, even better. Than, All him and be damned. He's I, trying no, his I, best to I, sell the main event. But yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah. I think it's the be- I think the main event yeah, has been built well, but I think that this has been built better. Um, mm-hmm. It just doesn't mean that I have to care. It's been a focal point. I mean, honestly, sure. uh, we, with Raw in the background, I'm watching in the background. It's a focal it's, point. He's doing a good job. And I just, I, you know, I, it just doesn't mean that I have to be into it. I just don't happen to be into it. Um, if, if it's your thing, cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, other ones real quick. Ms. Dolph Ziggler, don't care. Couldn't possibly in a world ever care about that. I mean, it, 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 it whatever. I like, you know what yeah. I mean? Who, who, Roman Reigns or Andy Orton? I just, oh, just shoot me in the head. I, I, no Reigns is the guy. I know. So don't get, but, hey, I mean, look, but, we talked yeah. about it. We're gonna have to put up a Roman Reigns. For, if, if you like Roman Reigns, you're gonna like the WWE for the next ten years. If you don't care about Roman Reigns or you have a straight up like, I don't care about Roman. I don't dislike him. I don't like him. I just don't care about Roman Reigns. If you're like me and you don't care about him, or if you're someone who flat out doesn't like him, you're in for a rough decade because this guy's not going away. He's not going away. And we've talked about that. So, and he's facing the guy who was the oh, who was the previous Roman Reigns, the previous right. guy who was never going to go away. I was watching. Have you have you watched? Have you have you went back and watched like older Randy Orton? Ever? I mean, I don't know why you would ever I do would this. Never but... do that in a million. Years. <laughs> like, I... <laughs> but I was watching SummerSlam 2004. That's the one where he beat Chris Benoit in the main event or whatever. And and watching Randy Orton then, it's like this guy used to when his in ring work used to be. I mean, it wasn't good, but he had some sort of speed to it there was some sort of like semblance of a guy that you, you know had an idea of how to work and he had some amount of charisma and now it's just like jesus like these past five years you watch him and it's like this methodical well, stuff Rich, and it's, it's like i'll tell you it's it's, it's horrible it's i mean he, i was watching no, it before it's, it's, i was like how was this guy better no, how was this i'll tell you when it happened it's when he turned into a snake yeah he turned into a snake and then he got all methodical with his movements and he started punching the mat and he became the when he became the viper yeah. It, it really, he really went down the fucking It went on a new level. Because yeah, now it's, it's, I mean, you watch, I mean, really, if you if you do go back and watch old SummerSlams, watch that one and, and you'll just be shot. The next year, too, I watched SummerSlam 2005 against The Undertaker. And, and Orton's the one that's with all the speed. And Undertaker's the one that's being methodical. And it's like, wow, Orton's a better worker in this match. And it's just unbelievable. I mean, now you look at him and it's just, yeah, as you said, he's he pounds the mat and, and sits there and slithers and, and, he's not, and now listen, menacing. He's not and a, like, I, just, I wouldn't call him a bad worker. He's just boring. Yeah, he's boring. He's shit. boring, yeah. and I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a great worker. I, I, you know, he, I, he doesn't have this litany of great matches either. He's just a boring guy. And you know, when he first turned into a snake, he was doing real weird shit. He was doing weird head movements. He was making these funny faces. He kind of eliminated that part of his act, but he's still doing that whole methodical, you know, sneaky viper thing. So that, that's yeah. kind of where the change happened. But uh, Roman Reigns, Randy Orton. I mean, geez, <laughs> unless it was, unless it was, you know, Randy Orton, Kane, or Roman Reigns, Kane. Uh, in the lumberjack match, Roman Reigns and Kane in the lumberjack match. That's the only way I could possibly you? have less interest in it. Just I set just, yourself on fire. Just and, Roman, and yeah, I mean, Roman Reigns does nothing for me, and Randy Orton does nothing for me. So uh, that match obviously does nothing for me. Go ahead. 
Uh, AJ Lee and Page uh, for the Divas title. I mean, obviously, we saw that last month they have a really terrible match. This match, I think, at least for me, I'm a little bit more into it because I feel like they finally have clear roles, which for a while there it was like, and, and everybody was right on who the, you know, who the heel and who the face were, but I feel like now they're making it, I mean, it's, it's obvious now. It wasn't obvious before. I'll tell I you what, that, I, I, don't, I don't find AJ Lee likable at all. I, no, I, she's a bad face. And, yes, and, and here's the thing about AJ Lee, too. She has taken on a lot of CM Punk mannerisms. Does anybody else notice that, or is it just me? She's starting to talk like CM Punk. She's starting to make CM Punk facial oh. expressions. She's, it's like, you know when you spend a lot of time, whether it's with a friend or a family member or your wife or your girlfriend, where you start to take on their characteristics or their speech patterns. You, you know how that goes. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like, it has clearly happened to her. She's, she's like a female CM Punk at this point. Her facial expressions, her mannerisms, the way she speaks, the cadence of her voice. I, I feel like I'm watching CM Punk half of the time. And uh, I understand. And CM Punk's better as a heel. So. Yeah, I, I understand she's the face here, but she's very unlikable as a face. I, I, yeah. I, I, I will say that. And what it comes down to with this is, uh, it, it, like it always comes down to with these Divas matches, they need time. Um, a, a, a Divas match that doesn't get time is almost never good. It's hard enough for, um, <laughs> this is going to sound awful, but I might as well say it. It's hard enough for the men to have a good match when they don't get enough time. It's even harder for the women to have a good match when they don't get enough time because a lot of times right. the women just aren't as good as the men. Um, you know, in this case, these are two of the better women. But as we've seen, you know, when they haven't gotten time, they have, they've had lousy matches. So, you know, they're going to need some time here. I doubt that they'll get it. You know, it's just the way that they structure their shows. The Divas matches just don't get time. You know, we've been down this road a million times. These are two women who I'd like to see get some time. I'd rather see them wrestle on an NXT special than on a pay-per-view, especially on a SummerSlam yeah. or on, on one of the A shows where they're really not going to be the focus. You know, on a B show, they might have a fighting chance. But when it comes to WWE and it comes to women, NXT is where it's at, man. Those NXT yeah. specials are where it's at if you want to see the women have good matches. I just I, I today I watched Bailey versus Eva Marie, man. That was because usually yes, they are great. Even even the shows are sometimes well, okay. Look, but man, was nothing, this the best, man? Nothing you can do with Eva Marie though. That you was just, I felt so bad for Bailey. I mean, she and it's, you could she took a deep breath before the match, just like okay, just, <laughs> here we what go. What are you gonna do with Eva Marie? I mean, there's nothing. It you was can do. horrendous. It was there's broomsticks and then there's Eva Marie. It was I felt so bad for Bailey. Like and she couldn't get out of that ring any sooner and just was like, thank you, that's done. Thank you. All right, it's, you know, go cash a check on that one. Uh, so we have Jack Swagger versus Rusev in a flag match. You know, if it's Rusev, I'm into it. I'm excited about that. <laughs> Are you still into Rusev as I'm, much as you I'm were? I'm still into Rusev. Look, okay. they're, they're going right. to blow it, and they're starting to blow it. Um, really, when he was peaking, they should have went all the way with him, but that's just not their style. I thought maybe they had a chance to do that with him here. But I like Rusev, and I like the big hoss, so I'll, I will be into this uh, flag match. Uh, it'll be goofy. It'll be stupid. Uh, but it's hopefully there's some moments where these guys beat the living shit out of each other. Those Rusev-Big E matches were great. I don't care what anybody says. No, they'll be fun and different. At least something different. Uh, we mentioned the Brie Bell and Stephanie, uh, Chris Jericho, Bray Wyatt. I, <laughs> if you if you made me if you if you took my computer away and said write down all the SummerSlam matches, I probably wouldn't have written this one down because I I forgot that it was. Here's a the thing about this, and I I posed this question on Twitter. It appears as though Bray Wyatt is finally getting over as a heel and not a face anymore because there was a period there where he was getting more cheers than boos. That's no longer the case. Bray Wyatt clearly is booed in every arena that he's in these days. So let me pose the question to you, because I posed this one at about four in the morning yeah. when normal people like you were sleeping. Um, 
do we credit Chris Jericho for finally getting Bray Wyatt over as a heel, or is is kind of the shine coming off of Bray Wyatt and he's just not cool to cheer for anymore? Yeah, I think so. I think the latter. I, I and and the the boring chants during his promo a few weeks ago were, were uh, to me a clear indication of that that it's not. I don't know if it's positive heat. It's I think it's more just yeah. It's not cool to really like him anymore, and that's to me that's that's not always a good thing. I mean yeah, that you get you get a heel, but you get something like this where people aren't really invested in the baby. So are you suggesting that it's go away heat? Um, I don't know if it's that term sometimes gets a little thrown out a little bit too much, but no, yeah, I'm I mean, saying, is it real go away heat? Would you go that far? I don't know if it's real go away heat, but I feel like it, there, there's something there. I, I think it's it's bordering on that. I feel like it's going to be there pretty soon because I think the biggest way to look at, at heel heat and that sort of stuff is look at it, it, does anybody, I mean, is there anybody in the crowd that really cannot wait for Chris Jericho to beat Bray Wyatt? To me, there's not that. It's just kind of let's boo Bray Wyatt because we're kind of bored by him and we don't really like him. But it's not, it's not, th- that sort of heat isn't being transferred to the baby face. Jericho's getting nothing off of that. Let me give you an option. And to me, C. that's when you get kind of weird. Let me yeah. give you an option C, since option C's are very popular these days. Uh, have there been subtle changes that Bray Wyatt himself has made to I don't stop so. getting cheers because it was the wrong direction? Uh, is is this something that he's accomplished, or I get the sense that you just think people are tired of him? I think they're just tired of him because what what has he changed in your mind? I to me I, I can't figure out something. The entrance everyone, is the listen, same. The the promos are rambling nonsense. Everyone, it's, everyone people I think just got you, it. You don't need, I mean it, it's you don't need my. It's been a year now. You don't need my. It's been a year now. Yeah. You don't need my take. You know my opinion. I I All listen. Right. I'm going to do the Rovert gimmick and put this one in the Lanza was right folder because I told you he was shit months and months ago when people were still cheering him. And it seems as though people are getting tired of that shtick. I mean, where do you go with that? You know, I just, it's, it's, I always thought he was sort of cartoonish. I never really got it. I never really liked it. I always thought he was nonsensical and, um, you know, worked to the level of his competition. And I, you know, I never really thought there was much there with him. So uh, you're preaching to the choir with me. Yeah, it comes to, to me, the, one of the big things that helped Bray Wyatt for a while, and, and, and we sensed it too, we knew it was sort of going to happen, is that when you had those six mans and he was in there and he could be protected by a, a good worker and Luke Harper and a guy who sort of fits a role in Eric Rowan, it was a, it, he was easy to be that. He was sort of the cult leader that had these other guys go, but since then, they've more and more, they've taken a back seat and it's been less of the Wyatt family and more of Bray Wyatt, and to me, that's exposed him. It's made his promos even more glaring because he's not selling matches anymore. Before, they could sort of sell the, okay, you know, these guys are weird and creepy and you don't know what they're going to do or whatever now it's him now it's him one-on-one especially in this match is, is one that, that they're barring them from it, it's it's bray wyatt in on himself and and <laughs> he's not I, he's just not doing it and people are starting to get it and they're and the entrance they've they've seen the entrance now for a year the entrance was cool for a while everyone's kind of been there live at least one point when it's happened and and you're over it and, and the promos don't go anywhere they don't mean anything there's nothing of substance so yeah i i think i'm of that mindset that people are just bored of him and it's just i, I don't know if it's go away heat but it's it's not positive heat i i will say that um i never bought the idea that he was a future long-term main eventer i still don't buy the idea that he's a future long-term main eventer um roman reigns is clearly a future long-term main eventer i think that's set in stone and is going to have i never bought that for for bray wyatt and i still don't buy that and uh i don't know it's looking less and less likely as we move along. Uh, what else we got on his show? Uh, and then the main event is John Cena, Brock Lesnar. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's an interesting match from the aspect of what direction they're going to go here. I think the, 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 the move that I would do is I would put the title on Brock Lesnar, um, see what kind of uh, 
network subscriptions this big match uh, managed to draw. If he made any kind of substantial difference in the network subs, which I doubt that he's going to, I would then keep the title on him. And uh, it, it, there's two things here. You know, he makes limited appearances. So what that would do is it would keep your title just on the network and it would turn your title matches into something special for the network. And it would be, if you want to see Brock Lesnar matches, uh, whereas pre network, he only wrestled on pay-per-view. Now, if you want to see Brock Lesnar matches and you want to see WWE world heavyweight title matches, you can only see them on the network. And then the title becomes a network exclusive sort of deal. And, um, you know, that's what I would do because it would, uh, it would, uh, you know, uh, they desperately need to get these network subs up as we know. And, uh, that would be one way that they can attempt to accomplish that. So from that aspect, I think it's an interesting match. They had a great match the first time, uh, that brutal match, which Cena, uh, won, um, which he shouldn't have won, but that he won. But if you remember at the time, there was a lot of distrust with Lesnar and, you know, they didn't want Lesnar to win and then decide he was bored with wrestling and go away. I think if they had a crystal ball, he would have won that match. Um, so knowing that Cena has already beaten him leads me to believe even more that Lesnar is going to win this one. I don't think Cena is going to beat him twice. Um, so, and, 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 you know, so, you know, maybe the WrestleMania plan is Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar for all we know, you know, maybe, you know, so who, so who knows, but I, I would have Lesnar win this. And I do, I am interested in this match because the first one was good. And because I'm very curious where they're going with the booking. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those ones that to me has a bunch of intrigue as well, because yeah, you, you legitimately don't know, a, you know, if the match is going to be brutal, what it's going to be like, how, you know, Lesnar's going to look. Because, you know, we haven't seen Lesnar in a while, and the last match he had sucked. So, and that, we don't know if, I mean, obviously I don't think all that was his fault, but it sucked. It wasn't very good, and he's, he's had diminishing returns here and there on, on, on pay-per-view. So, that's another interesting thing. And, yeah, what's the booking going to be? I mean, is it just sort of a Cena wins, and then it's kind of like, oh, all right, well, what, you know, what do we do now? Or if, if Lesnar wins, there's an intrigue now of, okay, what does the title do? Is this guy on TV every week? Or, you know, what what could they possibly do? So, it, 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 it's going to be super interesting from that aspect. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it too. And and Heyman's done a good job of building it up, but there's only so much you can do with Lesnar these days. And, and and the fact that, again, we've sort of mentioned it, that he 